Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome to Midweek Motorsport. It's uh, actually two minutes after eight o'clock. Johnny Palmer can't even keep time and be on time when he's recorded. <laughs> it's Midweek Motorsport at Series 13, episode number 30. Uh, John Hindoff from uh, the middle of a very dry and brown looking England. Uh, whilst up in a very hot and sticky London at our main control room, our executive producer is Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. And it's not a hot and sticky London anymore. We've had a lovely breeze today after last night's rain. Ah. And uh, it's a beautiful London. Can you send us some of that rain, please? Haven't had any. And on Have a you pa- not? There was loads of it last night. No, none here. My grass is looking very verdant. Oh, really? It's the brown here, my brown. Can... Uh, uh, on a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. Really? Uh, we have some father and son news. Oh. Uh, we have some older brother, younger brother news. Uh, we have a bedridden special guest. And we have a selection of our very best correspondents from both sides of the Atlantic, but only one side of the Pacific. Right. Okay. That seems reasonable. Um, and We could have had a correspondent on the other side of the Pacific, but he's lost his voice, hasn't he? Yes, he has. Creelsey in loses his voice shocker. Better get a bike for next week because he's working for us at Silverstone. Well, he's got a nice long flight to uh, get him, help him recover. And all he's got to say there is the answer to the question, chicken or pasta? Chicken or pasta? That's all. That's all he's got to choose. He could actually just white. write it out. Yes, red or white. It'll be just red. point to the things on the menu. Yes, that's not very good. Hopefully, Krillsies is listening to that. Um, let's Can have I congratulate two friends of the show? Oh, yes, you might do, yes. Congratulations. Excellent. Uh, and you can, in a moment, you can tell everybody that we are actually live. Uh, Woolly, hello, mate. Eight o'clock. Fantastic little Tom and Jerry meme that he's got in there. Davy Two Brews listening in uh, live tonight. Uh, we've also uh, got, uh, who else? Uh, right Turn Lover. Uh, Simon Hoff is was hoping to listen in live tonight, but uh, he's behind schedule. But on the bright side, having the podcast to listen to at work will make Thursday or Friday fly by, he says. Uh, and uh, Jonathan Frank, no AFA. Oh no, sorry, an AFA tonight, making a delivery in the in the first hour of what looks to be. Uh, let's go quickly to our Triumph TR4 expert. Is it a five? That's a five, isn't it? Yeah, I thought it was. Well, it, Jonathan, if that's what you're doing tonight, that's lovely. And that's a... Whether it's real or in watercolour, which you've got to pick... I'm going to sweep, sweep <laughs> that right now. And uh, let's do that. Just make for great radio, but I am actually doing it live. There you go, it's going to. 
apologies to all the people who've hosted the uh, show Name That Tune on TV over the years. I can name the top story in this week's Midweek Motorsport in nine notes, John, says Christopher Matthias. He can't. Ooh, really? really? You think so? Uh, let's have you tweeting in at uh, Specutainment, please. And shuffle your papers. Stand by. If you thought you knew what the top story was, think again. Tim's back in charge. Here's the jingle. So maybe that's not the jingle, because that's a keyboard for a different radio station. <laughs> You've just changed something on another radio station, haven't you? Yeah, I think RS3 may have just lost their uh, scheduled programming. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. It just adds to the charm, Tim. It just adds to the charm. Nobody's listening to that now anyway. No, because uh, we're live. Because we're live. And to yes. prove we're live, it's uh, nil two at the moment with 16 minutes left to play. Excellent. Uh, and our top story tonight is what? Uh, our top story tonight uh, means we require our ever since I was a young boy correspondent. Right. Declan Brennan. Right. Who is over here. Good evening, Declan. Oh, good afternoon, as it is to you, Declan. I need to take uh, take issue with the scores. I, my sc- uh, live scores are 3-2, and several others. But uh, right. uh, all of which, one uh, nil in the eighteenth minute. You need to look at the uh, need to look at the South African Premiership deck. I was in Bundesliga three. <laughs> Oh, my God. Who cares about Bundesliga 3? Excellent. (laughs) Hang on. Hang on. Declan Brennan comes on the show and is trying to out-norm We're Live Because with Tim Greer. That's a quality start to this week's show. Nothing to do with motorsport, but you know what? That's an instant classic right there. What's the top story tonight for Declan Brennan then? Uh, Ever since he was a young boy, should we just play the bit of audio? Yeah, go on then. Yes. Oh, well, when I got old enough to start, you know, racing go-karts, I certainly had interest in it. Did I know that I was going to make a career out of it? No, but um, I certainly thought I wanted to go race. And at eight years old, I'm not sure how much you actually know what you want to do, but uh, I had I had interest in it. And as I got older, I I didn't lose interest in it, and uh, had some good good folks around me to keep it going. Now, originally, we were going to get Declan onto the show to talk about the chase, but that became ah. Declan talking just about Chase, who got his first victory at the weekend, Dex. He did. The Marco Apicella of, uh, of modern-day <laughs> uh, stock car racing, who up to this point had gone, had 27 top fives without a win. And he's 22. That's, that's wow. a lot of top fives in a very, you know, condensed period without a win. Uh and uh, finally got his win uh, at, at at Watkins Glen, uh, a, a spectacular finish where he he uh, John. I'm glad you weren't calling the race based on his entry and exit of Turn One. Really, uh, really? very wide. Yes, very not uh, uh, observing track limits, uh, but it was phenomenal because as he went wide, Martin Truex, who, who restarted right behind him, did the full. Tyler McQuarrie drift through uh, totally sideways through one. Eventually ran out of gas, and the pressure was relieved on that last lap. And and in fact, Chase Elliott ran out of gas on the slow slowing down lap. Oh. And his teammate Jimmy Johnson had to stop and push him 
uh, Lightning McQueen and the King style at the end of uh, Cars, the movie, uh, back to uh, to Victory Lane. Dex, still only the, the eighth different person to win uh, this year. So still the race for the chase for the cup for the quest for the new thing, still um, very much up for grabs at the, the bottom half of qualifying. Yeah, the playoffs... The playoffs, as they're now known, uh, obviously we reserve the right to continue to call them the race for the chase for the cup for the quest for the thing. Uh, the playoffs, uh, obviously, were rearing, uh, really becoming into focus now. With uh, we're getting close to to cut off time. Uh, really, uh, he he cemented his position with the win, obviously. But we are in that position where there's eight drivers, where. Bush and Harvick and Truex together have 16 wins between them. Clint Boyer then is the only other guy with multiples with two. And then it's Elliot Logano, Eric Jones, Austin Dillon. And so that's eight. And then the next eight guys uh, uh, who are in, uh, you know, are kind of hanging on a little bit. Really, maybe there's a little bit of separation, you could say, with the points structure from Alex Bowman in 16th to Jimmy Johnson. But below them, it's all to play for. So... I'd say maybe Jimmy is probably not safe, but he's he's looking much safer than Alex Bowman, who's who's in 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 the last position right now, and that all changes if somebody else comes and wins a race. So you know we've got this, <laughs> so uh, that might be off or not. Uh, so you, you really, uh, I suppose the the moral of the story is go win and guarantee yourself a spot. The the, the, the playoffs and the format to get into the playoffs has been tinkered with for quite quite a while the onus was supposed to be being put on race wins and and you know i understand that and this all comes i mean if you go back long enough this all goes back to somebody who um won the championship without ever winning a race pretty much well matt kenseth he did that yeah in 03 and 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 uh, he won one race and and really the matt kenseth rule became the 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 basis for the first chase in in 04 uh, you know what's really funny though, John? Uh, just looking at looking at the guys who are who are in now, who haven't won a race. And if you'd said at the start of the season that Kurt Busch, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, uh, and Jimmy Johnson would would be uh, in the playoffs but without a race win, you mm-hmm. would be quite startled by that. And uh, uh, but that is the case. And uh, uh, it. it in some respects, at this time of the year, you could argue both ways. Consistency is still going to probably get you in because what's not going to happen is there's not going to be eight more different new race winners before the end of the season. So Certainly not so before the start it, of the chase. Still no, not before the start of the chase, as Tim rightly says, yes. Yeah, and so there's it still comes down to being solid. You know, it's so, And as we said before, and it, it bears repeating, irrespective of... of, of of uh, of the realities, uh, or uh, you know, week to week, it is actually theoretically possible to win this championship without winning a race, which yes. is not so to me. Uh, Absolutely not so. As I said, it's been tinkered with um, for a, a number of years. Um, some people, depending on which side of the line you are, some people say it's been tinkered at to make sure Jimmy Johnson doesn't get into it. Um, but um, Jimmy, Jimmy's just got to win, basically, and he's in. Um, is that because the the previous iterations of qualification weren't right, 
And if so, is this one right or is it just failing in, in different ways? No, this is ultimately, John, I think the, uh, while that those things may have been a little bit true or they wanted to, to tweak things, ultimately this is about the NFL. This is about television. Hey. This is about this is about building. Hang on, the Philadelphia Eagles have made the race for the chase for the Cup of the Thing. <laughs> they now won't do it two years in a row. <laughs> That's fantastic. They deserve to be. No, well, well, uh, uh, the, the 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 issue is that stock car racing, uh, like every other professional sport, come the fall, come September to to effectively till February, uh, is up against uh, at the weekends is up against the National Football League and college. And college uh, uh, football, which also has a huge audience. So it, this has all been about creating an event, creating a story every week, creating intensity and rivalry. And that's why they created this playoff system, this knockout system. And and you, the argument is, there's two things, two ways you could argue this. The, the, the irrespective of, of, of what they've done, their audience has been dropping every year, year on year. It's growing older. It's not, it's, it's so you could argue that, that, the changes have made no difference. But you could also argue, and I don't know, I can't tell you this for sure, that the, the playoff format has maybe propped up the, the audience a little bit artificially uh, or helped it. And maybe without that, the, the audience would have fallen off a cliff. So it's hard to know. But but uh, uh, we are uh, in a position where this has been done to artificially create excitement that will allow them to some extent to gain some... It's not even... I don't even think it's TV. I think it's just to gain some relevance once the football season starts the second week in September. Now, of course, Chase Elliott is the son of... Bill Elliott. Bill from Dawsonville. Uh, who, side note, if you're going, if you're going to Mid-Ohio next weekend, or this weekend, you will see him competing in Trans Am. And really? his, uh, his retirement continues after that because he's doing an Xfinity race as well. Is he really? Yes. Where at? Uh, Watkins Glen at um, Road of Monica. Pocono, I think. Oh, okay, right. Uh, Sonoma, maybe Sonoma. Right, okay. Very um, yeah, so Sonoma. They've already been there, surely. Not Sonoma. Where else have they got a road course then? Road of America. Oh, road of America. It might be Charlotte. Is he going to do the Charlotte Roval? Could Whoever be. she is. Exciting. I'm a big Bill Elliott fan. Anyway. Yeah, but he's also massively past it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chase was asked. In all fairness. Chase was asked whether seen... he would race against his father in that uh, in that race, and this is what he said. Yeah, no, I haven't haven't had any offers. Uh, a lot of people, you know, asking me if I, you know, people in the media, whatever, asking if I go do it. But no, no offers. Uh, no offers to go run. It'd be really cool to go do. But I think more than anything, um, I think Dad just wants to go have some fun, and the opportunity is there for him to go do it. So um, I think he'll enjoy his time and. It's, uh, that's really all that matters. So I'm excited to watch him. Now, we all enjoy NASCAR, don't we? Love it. And it is Road America, by the way. It is Road America. I enjoy stock... I'll say... I'll answer that by saying I enjoy stock car stock racing. Stock car racing. Yeah. Okay. And Nick Damon enjoys it so much he does his ironing to it. Uh, not recently, because it's not on one of any of the channels I subscribe to. Can you believe some people don't like stock car racing? Well, I can believe a lot of people don't like a lot of things, Tim, and that's personal preference. They if we all think liked everything, it would be rubbish. Exactly. They think it's like watching paint dry. Speaking of paint. Speaking of paint. <laughs> that was that was crowbarred in there, Mr. Career. My God, Nick. I've had a fortnight to work on this script. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it needed more. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yes. 
Why, why speaking of paint then? Come on. Declan, paint. Well, uh, I, I'm not. we need Sam Collins for this or not, but, but ultimately <laughs> NASCAR decided in its wisdom that it's laser, it's, uh, it's laser uh, measuring for, uh, for, uh, in, te- in its tech uh, at each race. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop, 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 stop. So no longer do the stock cars have to go um, under, round, through, and etc. cetera, uh, pieces of plywood to no, make... No, so yeah, lost. That's, and that, John, that to me is a genuine horror that we no longer have the comedy template that they, they literally put over <laughs> the car to see if it's the right shape. I'm scandalised. I didn't oh, no, realise that. I would bring that back. Because my logic is, surely you just laser produce that. And then everything. <laughs> so if, if that's accurate, then everything else should follow, you know, follow suit. So, so, all right. So they measure the cars to prove that they are within regulations by scanning it with with laser things, thingies. No, not anymore. Right. That, wasn't thorough, that wasn't thorough enough. <laughs> of course so not. They, they moved and they couldn't to find a laser sponsor. From, right, okay, they, yes. They moved, they moved to something, I think, developed by Batman. It's a 3D heat map scan, uh, which apparently... Brought, brought, uh, brought to you by uh, Mr. Fox, obviously, from Batman, yeah. from Wayne Enterprises. Yes. So, Lucius so Fox. NASCAR, NASCAR would tell you that this is a more thorough system, uh, but it, and maybe it is because what's it's beginning to happen is that uh, literally dozens of cars are failing inspection multiple times because people are clearly, uh, uh, you know, pushing the limits of what they can do with, with, with their body shapes. Literally uh, to the millimeter. Is that what we're talking about? To the fraction of a fraction of a fraction of an inch? It's got to be, John. And, and, and obviously that, if you can wind tunnel test, you can do enough uh, to, to maybe make tiny tweaks that will make enough of a difference. So I, I almost think there's only, only a handful of teams will be able to really take advantage of this. But here's the, here's the, the, here's the key. We're, we're burying the lead a little bit here. What, what's been happening is teams have been uh, subtly adding black trim in certain areas, which seems to have been catching out the scanner, the heat, the heat mapping scanner, and allowed them to make subtle adjustments to body nice. shapes. Nice. Uh, so, but they've now, of course, been caught, and and of course NASCAR, because it controls everything, uh, basically has said we approve all your liveries. Uh, uh, we we approve all your liveries. Uh, if you come in with with anything with black marks around, uh, we are going to throw it out. So visually, things can fail tech. Well, what, hang on, what uh, about if your is... sponsor's colours are black? I mean, you know, if you're Jack Daniels well, and you've got yeah, yeah, well. I would suggest I would suggest that every team in stocker racing is going to find a, a team with black. Uh, John Blair Special is going to make a comeback. Johnny <laughs> Walker Black Label will. Uh... That's but you know what? I actually really like that Dex because I love people being creative with the rules. I know rules are there for a reason, but particularly in stock car racing, the stories down through the years of you know two and a half miles of, of, of i'm exaggerating but only slightly of a huge amount of fuel pipe running around the inside of the car from the oh, yeah all of that these mega yeah the seven eighth the seven eighth uh size car from smoky eunuch there was my favorite one ever is the the uh 
casually leaving the crash helmet on the on the uh, on the driver's seat when it goes through tech uh, back in the eighties. When in fact the driver's helmet that was in the, the passenger seat was made of lead. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so the car was massively underweight until you put a forty-pound yeah. lead helmet on the seat. Yes, excellent. So, but but John, here's the thing, and, and we've talked about this uh, uh, together over a drink at, at races. The issue is that, and and global racing is not really this far, far off of this, but, but everything is so regulated now. So I'll, be very, I'll be very quick, but everything is so regulated and so condensed that finding the tents, finding the fractions of tents mm. is expensive. It's all done now with, with, with lubricants, with frictions, with it's stuff that, that you know, a, a small team can't come in and, and discover, a, you know, a, a cool little uh, trick of the trade. It's just not possible. This is all high-tech stuff now. It's so massively expensive to find. It's just like F1, as, as, as Nick would attest. It's, it's finding fractions of tents and doing everything and having Brilliant. masses of brain power to do so. It's, it's uh, because everything is so tightly regulated. What I like about it's, th- it's a fascinating story. What I like about this is the law of unintended consequences. If they'd stayed with the old plywood um, templates that have been fine, but they've gone to something that people can find a way to defeat you can't really defeat a plywood template. You know, keep it simple, and and that's great. Uh, that Declan Brennan joining us live on Midweek Motorsports Series 13, Episode 30. Stay with us, Dex, because we're going to need you for the next bit as well. Tim, where would you like to go next? Uh, I'd like to take you back to Monday. Right. Uh, I had the day off. Did you? Yes. I was travelling. I, I didn't have Monday. Relaxing in the garden. Lovely. Uh, enjoying the sunshine not it was far too hot to enjoy the sunshine mm-hmm. uh, and I've got a little news alert on my phone right and I'm thinking oh which uh, motorsport story is this yep are we going to see another driver movement in Formula 1 yep this was from TMZ TMZ not big on motorsport news alerts no but they were first with this story which was Jim France yes uh, who was arrested in the Hamptons. No, yeah. he wasn't. Brian France was arrested. Sorry, Brian France was arrested in the Hamptons. Well done. Yes. <laughs> you, were, you were really confusing me. Yes. Brian France was uh, arrested in the Hamptons uh, and has uh, been... Uh, for drunk, yes, for drunk driving, driving under the in- influence, and, do you uh, Carrying uh, illegal narcotics. It's a sad story. Um, NASCAR themselves, Dex, have a zero tolerance uh, policy for uh, drinking and driving and substance abuse. Um, whatever you think about the individual, he's clearly a person who you know needs some help and has has problems. Um, but in PR terms and in personal terms, this is not a great story. No, this is a terrible, terrible look for a, a sport that's. Uh, desperately in need of solid leadership at a time when uh, it is, it's struggling uh, to, to create uh, new fans. It's struggling to, to generate revenues from partnerships. It's losing Monster. Uh, the likelihood of it getting a major partner uh, to come in at anything like the levels that Sprint were at in the past is highly unlikely. Uh, they're losing the tracks that, that, that ISC, uh, which Brian is also a part of, 
own are uh, you know are, are, are some of them are pulling seats out they're they're not filling up it's just the sports in in, in flux it's it needs to fundamentally change uh, to change with the times it's 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 a it's so stuff like this really really doesn't help and particularly on a weekend when nascar people within nascar would have been thrilled at the fact that the chase elliott story is such a great story uh, and then it gets overturned and i'll leave it at this the only NASCAR story that that uh, in in weeks or months that's appeared on my local radio sports bulletins yeah, exactly. on the high rated shows was about Brian France. It wasn't about Chase Elliott. Yeah, and that that's very sad, and it, it speaks probably volumes more to um, the imperatives of the news media than the validity or, or yeah, otherwise of correct, yeah. the editorial uh, value of the story. Uh, midweek motorsport, just after 25 past eight in the UK. Welcome along if you're just joining us. We're going to move to two wheels now, Tim. We are. So I'll bring in, shall I bring in our MotoGP correspondent, Nick yes. Damon? Nick Damon will tell us all about what happened uh, in the MotoGP at the weekend, which presumably was in Spain. Uh, not this week, no. It was in sunny Czech Republic. Czech, oh, of course there were. No, yeah. How many years do you think it be before I stop wanting to say Czechoslovakia? You can't. It's like, I still want to say it. Yeah. They've been and I should have known that because I, I was talking to someone who was flying back from Bruno just yesterday, and I'm thinking, why was she coming back from Bruno? Bruno is a great circuit for motor racing and an outstanding circuit for motorcycling. I want Dex to stay in on this because I watched this on catch-up and I mm-hmm. actually didn't know the result so I was traveling uh, Sunday I was working Monday I was traveling but as it happened at 3:30 in the morning there was a full replay uh, on <laughs> Monday night into Tuesday morning I saw it on the planner when I got in I stuck it on and I watched it first thing Tuesday morning um it was it was a fascinating race I'm not going to say it was terribly exciting for the first bit because it was a bit, gentlemen, and I'll come to you first on this, Nick. It was a bit like a backwards cycling race to start with because everybody was preserving their tyres. There's been a lot of that this year, actually. I mean, it's it, the the go hell for leather and and to heck with the circumstances has disappeared a bit. It's almost like that uh, the Michelin tyres I have are doing impressions of the uh, F1 Pirellis, where you've got to baby them around for the. Uh, the first few laps to make sure. In fairness, the heat played. No, no, and we've had an exceptionally warm summer in yeah, Europe. But the fact about it is, is it, it's you make a decision as a tyre company. Any tyre company can make a tyre that will last 45 minutes and go a reasonable speed. You know, it's it's then you make a decision about how soft you want to go and how likely it's to grade and everything else. So they obviously want to get out performance, make them look great. So, you know, I mean, Michelin do tend to do a reasonably good job. You know, once again, they're not in a, a tyre war, which is never a good sign. Um, but we've had a lot of this tactical stuff. Um, I don't have a problem with it. It's just it's different. It's just different. It's different from how it used to be. It, what it did, though, Declan, was it gave us this extraordinary last well, I suppose 10 laps I mean we had 11 12 riders all in with it. it it was it was almost like watching something on a velodrome all we needed was the derny bike in front with somebody pedaling along to pace everybody out and, and what we got with this extraordinary array of lap times where and sometimes the guys in 16th and 17th position were reeling off faster laps quicker than the guys at the front of the field yeah, uh, we had that with uh, uh, with Batista. We'll come to him later in a minute, uh, and and uh, Petrucci and a couple of others. But but ultimately, John, what I took from the race was absolutely that is that one man sat there like he did in Assen. Like the chaos of Assen was absolutely mm. sensational. I want that every week. Although <laughs> I get that every week, and I get that every week in MotoGP. 
the Assen Grand Prix is the greatest Grand Prix of all time. It was the uh, seventh best Moto3 race this year. Mm. You know, uh, uh, I, I love that. I love that chaos. But, but what we had was a situation, and it felt to me was that Marquez truly believed he could sit there, he could he could conserve, he could drive it on himself, and when it got to go time, before laps to go, he'd go, he'd break them, and that was it because he's driving with such confidence. I firmly believe he had no conception of the fact that no. Dovi and Lorenzo were going to go with him. Oh, I, I wish there'd been a camera. Place. I wish there'd been a camera that you could have seen his face because it was the international surprised face there because he had no clue that they were going to have that kind of performance level. Yeah, it's because it, what was amazing was everybody pretty much in the field was doing low 57s mm. and on with four laps to go, those three started doing 56s and Marquez pushed it and the last two laps of the race were the two fastest laps and mm. were swapped by by uh, Lorenzo and Dovi, uh, not Marquez. It was just and Nick. I'd love to hear what you thought, but I I really believe Marquez absolutely was ro- was rope doped a little bit. He fell into what he thought was a, a, a traditional position where he could just go and that would be it, and it didn't happen. I think the issue, well, yeah. Well, I think possibly he's got that, that arrogance and cockiness. You need to have to do that. But I think obviously with the Ducatis working a bit better and having the the power, it meant that they, they, he couldn't lose them during the twisty bits, and they had the sheer grunt to get past him. You know, and, and you know it's not wishing to be you know too. Um, you know, he isn't really racing either of those people at the moment. He, he is all he is racing is himself not to fall off to make this world championship. Yeah, so he was 46 points ahead coming into well, he's, to yeah, this he, one. He beat the person who was in second, Brandon yeah, Ross, who came fourth. Yeah. And yeah, Dovi, Dovi, who should be up and running, has fallen off too often this year. Lorenzo's up and down and really isn't going to put together a full challenge. He will win more races this season. So it, it is Marquez. The only person who can beat Marquez now is himself because everyone else has already beaten themselves. Can, can I? And Yamaha beat I think themselves Dovi, by I think, being rubbish. I think Dovi has got to keep the pressure on him. Dovi has to keep the pressure on him uh, because I think at one stage Marquez will fall off. And the reason I say that is because Dovi owns him in, a head, in head-to-head fights. I think they've, four times point. in the last 12 great months, point. They've, gone into, they've gone into last laps head-to-head and Dovi's won every one of them. So I, I think he, all he can do is keep the pressure up. And Marquez reminds me a little bit of Schumacher. Schumacher was brilliant and, and, and obviously when he was a front-runner, but when you put him under a bit of pressure, he was liable to do some dumb stuff. And and Marquez has shown signs of that. And if Dobby can keep the pressure on him, it might make a difference. It, it really might make a difference. You know what I like to see, though? I loved to see what Lorenzo did at the weekend. He's clearly a shadow of his former shadow, but just a glimpse there of I, I what he used to be I like. I don't know. I think, I think that's a, that's a, he has kind of found his mojo with those couple of wins, and he's now just marking time, trying not to injure himself before he goes to Honda when, when the big challenge yeah. happens with the winning yeah. bike. I mean, he's, he's done something that no one else has done, which is win, win on an ordinary bike and win on a Ducati, but well, actually Stoner did the Nicky one Honda as well. And don't forget, if he wins on the Honda as well, he'll be the first person in the modern era to win on three manufacturers' bikes. Dex? I will, can I, I will say uh, he's riding with such confidence uh, and you can tell from that manoeuvre when he went briefly from third to first. Oh, that was outstanding, when he went, by the way. That was, and uh, obviously he didn't stick the landing, but but, you, but it just gave you a glimpse. <laughs> well, that was because he took both hands was. off the, the, the handlebars and put them up above his head. Uh, you know, <laughs> if, if he kept that, he might have stuck it there. No, I don't know exactly what you mean, mate. Well, it just shows you the confidence he's riding with and, and, and how much confidence he has in that bike. And that is, that is just to me is one of the great kind of tropes that's 
that's you know running through this whole season of timing. It's like everybody's timing is wrong except Marquez. He quits and they build him a bike he can win on. Well, you know, his timing. It's like it's yeah. It's, I, it's I, like I, I think I think the the, the 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 true issue really is is that is that the fact that Yamaha haven't managed to do anything. And that, mm. that is a problem. They're not one for over a year. They're imploding with Vinales, um, who's got upset because he hasn't got the winning bike he's supposed to have after the first few races. Rossi is just trundling along, being experienced, laughing, joking, enjoying everything, and, and using, his, using basically his, his maturity to wrench himself Nick, into, a... the, uh, into the championship chances of at least getting on the podium of the overall championship. Nick, this is a testament to Rossi's ability. Oh, is there anybody else, Dex, who could ride that Yamaha the way that that Rossi is doing it? Not just no. not just manhandling it, but also his tactical nous as well. And also, what's happened? Sorry, I got to a Yamaha. Is Zarco's disappeared since yeah. Le Mans completely? Yeah, what's happened to him? Yeah, Dex. The bike is junk. It's like they have <laughs> lost their way. It's the Williams of of, of oh, GP. Oh. Go ahead, Dex. Sorry. They are the way. They, They've lost. They've completely lost their way with the electronics. It's out of their hands. Is that like the 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 the, uh, the standard ACU is causing Yamaha just every problem you could think of to the point where Rossi, you know, went with a, a soft front. Just I, I presume that was just it was uh, you know give him a, to give him a puncher's chance on uh, on uh, on Sunday. Uh, it's a it is an absolute disaster for them and and what Rossi's doing is proof of his ability as opposed to you know because he he's outperforming that bike by a country mile look at Zarco Zarco struggling they are they are an absolute disaster right now Yamaha yes absolutely agree Dex thanks for for joining us tonight mate always oh no before you go Bautista you said we'll talk about Bautista how I I wanted to talk about him very briefly in terms of 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 a couple of things just he's again the timing thing uh, so his team, Angel uh, 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 Angel Nieto Ducati, uh, they are basically taken over by by uh, Sepang International Circuit, uh, which will take over the Tech Three Yamaha ride. So they have that. So that's now going to be the Yamaha. Uh, he is uh, uh, that team is going to have probably have more Bedelli, uh, and there's one le- more space, and it looks like he's going to lose it uh, to. Uh, Fabio Quattararo, who's 19, and Batista is riding as well as he ever has. Oh yes, if not better. And my belief is that uh, Kawasaki made an absolute total error in hiring, hiring Leon Haslam. And if they if they hired Batista, I genuinely believe uh, he would he would have the pace of of, of Jonathan Ray. Uh, and I think I, I, I'm sorry, all you Johnny Ray fans out there, and there's lots of you, but. I think a, a, a top 10, and as Batista is proving himself to be right now, a top 10 uh, MotoGP rider on a year-old bike, if you give him a, a, a top-line uh, MotoGP uh, superbike, I think he would be absolutely a match, if not better, than, than, than Jonathan Ray. And, and, yeah. But now he's got no ride. Now he's got nothing, which is shocking right now. Mm, tis. Dex, thanks for joining us tonight. Great stuff. And I'm, I'm still reeling at the fact that uh, NASCAR don't use templates anymore. Declan Brennan <laughs> joining us tonight on uh, Midweek Sport. Are you shutting, selling all shares in plywood then? Yeah, they, that's it. They, they do for their website in all fairness. Oh, that's right. That's, <laughs> I'll, see you, I'll see you in Virginia, mate. Ta-da. All right. Take care, chaps.
Declan Brennan joined us live on Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode 20. Uh, Tim Gray, are we staying on two wheels? We are, because British Superbikes are at Thruxton, their fastest races of the year. I love it. I guess what happened this weekend? Mm-hmm. Shane Byrne finally fell out of the race to chase for the cup for the thing several months after he stopped racing this year really but he did qualify St- he's still qualified he's 8th uh, no he qualified for the race oh right. oh right he didn't take part in the races right but according to the official Bennett's BSB data tag qualifying sheet that I have in front of me he was 3rd how did he manage that? that I don't know I believe year. It may be a transponder fault or something like that. Well, well you, done, seeing as he wasn't there, it's a ghost burn. Oh, he's probably there, but he's just, I think he's still in his neck cage, isn't he? Do you, I believe so. Do you think that their system was a bit shaky then? Oh, he's on fire today. <laughs> he <laughs> has been replaced at uh, the BYZ Ducati team uh, since his accident by his teammate's brother. Yes. Uh, Andrew Irwin, the less talented of the two. Ooh. Well, yeah. Fewer. Fewer talented. Fewer talented. I am fewerly talented. Well, he's not as talented as Leon Hasden. He got a first and a second. Mm. Um, and I think has probably qualified. Yes, he and has. And will probably win. And then we'll probably go to um, World Superbike. Well he, well, he has, hasn't he? He signed. I didn't see that. I missed that. Yes, we did yes, that yes. two weeks no, ago. We did that two show. weeks ago. Oh, I missed that. We broke the news. I have been on 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 down the line on recording. I've missed the first one. It was the one where we asked John to uh, get out his international not surprised face. And Dan Dada uh, did. Yeah. Uh, so Josh Brooks and uh, Leon Haslam, the winners. Yes, and they will. And Leon Haslam will be the winner at the end. Do you think so? Yes. I think it's his championship this yes. year. So we, we we had this discussion two weeks ago. Had you been listening to the rest of the show? When was the last time a British superbike champion moved over directly into worlds? Oh, loads of times. Into what the GP happened all the time back in the early nineties. But when was it most recent though, Nick? That was the question that uh, we eventually got an answer to. Tosin was it? No. No. Kianari. Oh, very good. Yeah. Um, I thought British. Right, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Nick Damon's going to stay with us, as is Tim Gray. Declan, Nick we've Damon's already said goodbye to. We haven't had a huge amount of sports car news in the last few weeks. And we're going to put that right now with a little bit of a, a wrap-up of some sports car stories. And we'll start with one of the big stories from the Spa 24 weekend. I'm afraid it wasn't great news for Andy Merrick, who had a... A very nasty accident, but he joins us. I'm delighted to say he's back at home. He joins us on the phone now. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, mate. How are you? Well, I'm I'm fine. I'm more at the point. How are you after that nasty accident at Spa? Uh, yeah, no, surprisingly, surprisingly well, mate. It's, it's just only been just over a week, obviously, since since the accident, and um, I'm back at home, back in the UK, um, and I'm up and mobile and I'm walking around. So um, probably not quite as quick as I am. Uh, Walking around normally, but um, yeah, and still a little bit sore in places. But um, yeah, in one piece, and 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 sort of, and looking forward to recovering and rehab and getting back in a car, mate. What do you remember of the accident, Andy? I know it's not a nice thing to 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 think about, but there was a couple of big shunts uh, at the at that 24-hour weekend. What do you remember of it? Uh, absolutely everything of it. Um, I wasn't knocked unconscious, which is. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, yeah, I can remember everything of it. I, I basically we'd, the, we'd just gone green. Um, we'd been on the safety car for not long, about three or four laps. A Lamborghini had been into the gravel, uh, which is actually subsequently the Lamborghini that um, I ended up hitting. Uh, he'd been into the gravel, got dragged out. He'd continued 
Um, anyway, and basically he had a had a um, um, a spin at Eau Rouge just literally in front of me. So when we went green, he spun at Eau Rouge. We all started. We're on a bit of a train. I mean, three cars as we go up through Eau Rouge, go into the compression. We've got a light board on the left. We're all green. And unfortunately, then the Lamborghini just had that spin at the top. And just as you come over the brow, he was in the. If you've driven, if you've driven Spa, you know, just as you come over Radion, there's a blind spot as you go over the curb there. And unfortunately, he's in, he's in the worst place possible, and he's, he's there. So that's when it was a, a head-on, a head-on collision there. Um, and you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, in terms of knowing it was going to happen, not a clue. Um, you know, so no time that. to prepare, nothing like that. No, which was probably good because it, <laughs> that, uh, you know, it was a huge shock. I mean, it was you know, obviously the, the impact and the force was huge. I mean, we looked at the data afterwards. I, I, I came, I came off, just came off the throttle, but I didn't, I didn't get even get time to react to hit the brake. That's how quickly it, wow. it happened. Um, so yeah, massive, massive impact. Um, and I, I, you now know the expression. I know the meaning of the expression when people say it's taking the wind out of you. Yes. I now really know what that truly means. It was just incredible. But um, from my side, it couldn't it couldn't have been avoided in any way whatsoever. I'm just really happy that um, the car, you know, the car stood up to, and did its job, and and the medical crew at Spa and then at Liège Hospital did an, an absolutely incredible job. So I was in intensive care from the Sunday, I think, through to the Wednesday, and um, and then I came home last last Friday. I got I got back. So. Um, yeah, it's been uh, not the ideal week because we were, you know, obviously we had high hopes for in the program class here. We had a very, very strong lineup of, uh, in our team, but um, so it didn't quite go the way we finished. But um, it was fun while it lasted. It was fun while it lasted. I, I love the way that you say it's not exactly what you had, had planned and you're thinking about the race. Um, you happen to be getting married fairly shortly. I don't think um, having broken bones was in the plans for for that either, was it? Uh, not at all, Matt. No, I had. Uh, that was, uh, I have to say, my dad came out to see me in, in hospital, and uh, I think it was the sort of Wednesday. He sort of said to me, "Look, you're going to have to, you're going to have to cancel this. It's not going to happen." And uh, yeah, look, I said, "There's no way. It's not. I've, I've paid for it, mate. There's no way I'm paying for it again." Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's all good. I'm, I'm, I'll be well enough to, to, yeah, sort of, definitely walk down the aisle and, and hopefully enjoy it as much as possible. So. Um, there's too much gone into it from for, from from our side, so looking forward to it and just uh, yeah enjoy that and then and then the full focus is going to be getting you know getting back in a, in a car. Andy, just thinking back to uh, to Spa over the last few years, the 24 hours, there's been you know uh, quite a lot of accidents, but you know I I don't like jumping on the bandwagon and uh, and trying to throw mud at things because uh, each one's different. It, it sounds very much from what you've said. There was nothing certainly you could have done to uh, avoid uh, the incident that you had. But, the, I mean, it's a 24-hour race, which is a long race. They're all the same class of cars. Um, coming off safety cars, even short ones, is it a function that people lose temperature there on such a tyre temperature on such a... Uh, a, a long lap or, or, or what you know what is it that is it just because it's a fast track what is it that seems to focus people's attention on these accidents because you don't really have a small shunt at spa do you no i mean i think that's the thing is, is when you have a crash there's a few things here i mean when you have a crash at spa it tends to be a big one so it tends mm. to get, get the headlines or yeah. get gets the attention exactly um i think there is there is you, you raise a good point about tire temperatures dropping after safety cars and numerous safety cars and then obviously those first few laps are pretty dangerous. I don't think that was the contributing... That used to be more of an issue. 
I think Pirelli definitely did something. I mean, I've done GT3 and, and Blancpain for a long time now, and that used to be more of an issue. Right. I know that Pirelli have done a done quite a good job of getting the tyres to sort of the spike up in the tyre, you know, temperature uh, quite. You know, that, that's got better. And I don't think it was a factor in this, um, especially this year. It was quite warm as well, the ambient mm. temperatures and stuff. So I think the only thing this year is the gentleman who'd been off in the Lamborghini. He'd caused the the safety car, I think he went off at the exit of Le Calme a few laps before, he'd then come back on and um, not gone into the pit. So he'd been dragged out of the gravel and carried on um, and then had a spin at the source and then had a, a spin um, the lap later. I think he actually had some contact, to be fair, with another car going right. into into Eau Rouge. Um, so I think it could have been avoided. There's, there's definitely something that possibly could have been done at, in those stages Whereas, you know, if somebody goes into the gravel, um, you know, in my book, if you've, if you've gone into the gravel and had a spin, been dragged back out, you, you need to come back into the pits. Yes. Um, there's, there's, you know, you don't know what's what you've done. If you've got a technical issue with your car, Correct. gravel in the brakes, blah, 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 blah. Um, well, Andy, how are you? We've all been to um, arrive and drive cart tracks where four wheels off is always you have to come back into the pits. And, and, and that's just, you know, on a, uh, an arrive, as I say, in a drive and drive cart, you just want to get everything... Tr- checked over to make sure everything's all right. I, I, I know that there's a lot of driving skills apply the same rules as well. It's, it's you know, it's not rocket science, is it? No, not not at all. And I think, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking to point fingers, not just for this incident, but at the other crashes as well. But you look at a lot of the historically lot of crashes at Spa, um, you know, the, it's a tough, tough place to go and race as a, as a, as a non-professional driver who's not in mm. a car all the time. To go and race a GT3 car around Spa, especially at night, yes. um, is very, very, very demanding. You know, even as a pro, you know, it, it's, it's tough. You know, you, you, and, you know, a double stint at night around there, you know, from the concentration element of stuff and, and the speeds and the relative speeds of the car is difficult. So I think it's, um, I don't know really what the answer is. And I know that, you know, I think there's huge steps being taken. I mean, you know, I think the Sean Edwards test that, that, that is aimed at raising awareness for not just amateurs or drivers for the regulations and the rules that you know, the right steps are being taken yes um but fundamentally it, it is a dangerous race and it probably is one of the one of the more dangerous races um and you know everyone's at absolutely maximum attack all the time so um it's i wouldn't i don't want to i don't want to sweep it under the carpet and say it's just you know part of the course but yes. there's i think every i think we need to learn from every individual um you know accident and, and this and certainly in this incident um there's something that could have been learned, you know, because it could have happened to any, you know, I was just unlucky that I was... You know, with the, the next car thing. along, yes. Exactly. Yeah. It could have happened to anybody. Um, uh, so. The, the one uh, suggestion uh, that's been uh, activated by Stefan Mattel, in fact, it was uh, announced at the Spa Weekend, is uh, to take the amateur classes certainly out of the sprint series um, to complement GT3, GT2. Um, to take some of the amateur drivers out from 2020. So they'd be racing um, alongside GT3s in the GT Sprint Cup, the uh, Asian Series, and the World Challenge in the British GT Championship. And and this basically is an amateur-only category, 700-horsepower supercars, limited development, more like GT4s, limited aero. Now... Ostensibly, I see. I, I think that's a, a canny idea. It kind of works for me, but I'm not sure, if I'm honest, how I feel about amateur drivers getting 700 horsepower and 
less aero <laughs> if they're already struggling with the GT3 car, which has got more aero and, and potentially is, is more highly developed. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's funny because I, I actually had a, a really interesting discussion at, at, at Spa prior to the race with Andrew Cotton about this. And, mm. I, and I sort of, I sort of, you know, if I'm honest, when I, said, I started the conversation with him and I said, I think it's a bit of a nonsense. I don't really understand the, the, where it's going to fit into the market. And, and we talked it through. And I, after the conversation, I see a bit more value in it. Um, but I do, you know, I've raised a similar point yourself is, you know, you know, Andrew's viewpoint was these cars are getting harder and harder to drive as GT3 cars. Um, yes, but I don't, as you say, I think, you know, take a load of downforce off and go quicker in a straight line. Um, that's going to be pretty difficult to drive as well. Yes, um, I also, I don't really understand where it fits in the market against the GT4. Yes. Um, because, you know, like GT4 is obviously, you know, I'm racing a GT4 car as well this year. Which um, are getting more and more sophisticated as well, in fairness. Yeah, exactly. They're getting, you know, they're getting more sophisticated. They're getting, they're getting quicker. They're getting, um, you know, certainly, I wouldn't say easier to drive, but nicer to drive for the amateurs. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm not sure about it, if I'm honest. And I, but then again, you, you, you don't, you know, Stefan Mattel knows this industry better than I do, and 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 is certainly, you know, he, he he does, he makes things work. I'm just, I'm just not quite sure where it's going to fit. And as I say. You know, you take the amateur drivers away. What's going to happen to the the, the pro am market is as well there for the professional drivers driving with, with amateurs. Um, I just and I know, but but then looking at it, it's got it's got manufacturer support already. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I've got a big question mark over it, mate, as to where you know as to whether it's going to work. But then again, I had a big question mark over LMP3 a few years ago. So, well, that's oh, it's never going to work. And I've I've been racing one for the last few years and. And you look, and and obviously I've had success in it, and the whole the whole series is, is a I, huge success. I've seen a similar sort of idea working with Lamborghini Super Trofeo. You know, those are six hundred and twenty, six hundred and fifty horsepower cars, limited amount of downforce. They are very, very quick in a straight line, and when we have them. Uh, supporting uh, IMSA, it's, one of, it's an IMSA sanctioned series. They are regularly the quickest GT cars in a straight line. They were pulling yeah. over 170 miles an hour at Watkins Glen uh, at, at uh, Road America at the weekend. But they race on their own. And there's a variety of driver talent within that and different categories. That's fine. They race on their own. My concern is how it's going to work against a 550 brake horsepower GT3 car which gets its lap time through corner speed and very, very aero-dependent. Again, something that's super slippy down the tubes with gentlemen drivers who maybe aren't that quick through the corners anyway, regardless of how good the car is. That's where you tend to make your, your time up is in brake. And, and I know because you've told me what I do wrong when I'm driving. Um, and that was five years ago the, last week. Can you believe that, that we were racing that 924? That's unbelievable. Yeah, I saw that. That was a good weekend. That, that, was, that, a that was a great weekend. Tango was called. Tango it was. Yeah. Um, you know, so you've got super quick 700 horsepower cars that are fast down the streets and GT3 cars that won't be able to match them for top speed and then after everything's got to happen from turning to apex racing them together there's a little there's more than a little question mark there for me and, and for you as a as a pro driver the frustration of getting stuck behind a 700 horsepower beast that disappears every time you punch out of a corner that's, that's going to cause some um, interesting moments I would think yeah, I mean, effectively, you, you're getting into you know multi-class racing then, which which you know obviously in it's for example at Spa, it's not it's all those classes. They're all the same. They're all the same. You know, um, 
cars in terms of performance. Um, but yeah, if you start introducing GT2 and GT3 cars on track at the same time, for, for sure, that's going to, you know, that's going to create, that could potentially create more issues. In fairness, um, it's only in the sprint. Of, it's only going to be in the sprint of Blancpain. It's not going to be in the longer races. So Sorry, yes, you're correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but even so, there's going to be, you know, the sprint races are naturally, you know, you, you, you're not going to, in some respects, that makes it a little bit worse because, <laughs> you know, in a sprint race, you, you literally can't wait to, to sit, you know, to sit behind point. a driver for two or three laps and, and bide your time and make a clean move. In a sprint race, it's got to happen now. Um, mm. So in some respects, okay, yes, you haven't got the, the, the complications of nighttime driving um, and all those sort of things, but in a sprint race, you've got to get past it instantly. So in some respects, it makes it, you know, the, the urgency even higher, um, which potentially could make it, make it more of a, um, more of a risk and, and there's, there's, there's more uh, you know, opportunities for things to go wrong. So, yeah, no, I, I still do have, I see some merits in it, but I also, um, I don't, I think GT3 as a category, look, I think... Has GT3 evolved as far as it needs to go, Andy? Because we keep seeming we're breaking lap records on a, a regular basis in, in GT3. It's come a very, very long way from its original conception of relatively um, slightly modified road cars. I mean, that GT4 is even beyond that now. And the lap times that we're doing now are not that far off what GT1 were doing. Yeah, and, I, and that's what I was, sort of, I was, I was going to come on to, is really as to, I'm not sure that the introduction of a new category is the way forward. Why not try to simplify, uh, and instead of pushing GT4, you know, because I know that a lot of people are saying, you know, GT, GT4 is starting to go faster and stuff, um, in closing the gap between GT4 and GT3, why, why don't we bring GT3 slower? Make effectively go back mm. five to ten years with, with GT3, make them simpler. Make you know, this is not just from a driver driving point of view and the, you know the, the, the difficulties of driving and the complexity of driving them. It's from the costing point of view. Yes, and I think what you know. Maybe um, Stefan Rattel's seeing here is that yeah, yeah, GT3 at the moment is very, very strong worldwide. It's but maybe that it's starting to yeah, you can see that maybe in five, three, four, five years time it might start having problems. Um, and he's trying to create the next step. But I think personally, yeah, although it's not, it, you know, it, it, it's it's there's probably other changes that need to be made. I don't think the the changes are a new category. They are look at the product that you've got and try to almost you know restrict it a little bit more slow it down and make it more focused towards the amateurs um i think i think in 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 essence gt3 has been a bit of a victim of its own success yes and the factory and and pro pro lineup sides have been um are you know that's creating some of the problems um now and i think that a, a more of a focus back on you know amateur and pro-am racing within gt3 is the way forward rather than as i say the, the, the gt2 side of things um so i think you know i think it's a fantastic market um obviously i've, I've been in it a long time now and i, and I think it's a you know it's, it's a case of maybe just you know sort of dumbing it down a little bit and making the cars maybe a little bit slower certainly a little bit less technical um i don't think they really need to be any more technical than a gt4 no, car no you know a I gt4 agree. car is, is is more than more than enough I tell you one. I tell you one thing, and and you know this uh, particularly after a, a couple of weekends ago. What you can't skimp on is safety, because these mm-hmm. are fast cars, whichever way you look at it. And if you're going to have 
GT2 is a mildly modified road car. They've got to get the safety features right because if those cars are doing 160, 170, 180 mile an hour, then you still have to have the same kind of safety features as you would have in a GT4 and a GT3 car, don't you? Oh, without doubt, because you know if you're if you're going to be if you're going to be travelling at those sort of speeds, uh, which is you know the terminal velocity could be you know could be obviously higher than a GT3, less downforce, more power. Yeah, the potential to have to, to have a big one is, is is very very high. So um, yeah, without doubt, and I have to say that you know that in from from my 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 recent experience with the crash at Spa, I mean it's incredible the safety. I mean mm-hmm. I've seen pictures, um, you know I've seen pictures of the of the of the crash. I've seen footage of the crash, uh, which wasn't released, but I've seen the actual footage of yeah. it, and it's just incredible the uh, how the car stood up to it. So um, yeah, you, you need know, to stop watching that. <laughs> yeah, once is enough. That's fine. Um, and um, it's, but you know, you, you you look at. I think for a, for a, if that if that accident had happened ten fifteen years ago, I think the the, the consequences could have been a lot lot worse. So um, that side has been was was incredible. I'm pleased it's not obviously, and I'm pleased you sound great. By the way, I should say I'm, I'm I've heard a rumor that you're trying to get fit to get back into the bullet Mercedes, the GT4 car at the Hungaro Ring in the first weekend of September. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the plan. So, um, you must. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I've got, I've, uh, I don't see why not. I mean, I think it's, it's, that would be five weeks from the crash. So um, obviously I've got, I've got um, you know, I've got to fulfill all the requirements that the, the, the doctors will put out for me and, and um, in order to be able to be passed the race. And I, I, in no way whatsoever will I... Will I risk my own my own safety, no. uh, or that of, of of obviously anybody else who's on track? But um, you know, I'm I'm fairly determined, and I'm and I'm I'm confident that you know, with the with the right rehab over the next few weeks, I've cancelled the honeymoon, um, so I can concentrate on the That's rehab. That's popular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luckily, I'm. Uh, Jan paid for that though, so that was all right. Uh, no, no. I'm, I'm, luckily, they've they've allowed us to to transfer it across. So um, that's been. Um, I just want to add. You know, I, I'm. I want to have my my head 100% focused on Understood. on my, my rehab, and I think going away wouldn't do that. So I'm gonna we're gonna get married, and we're gonna come home, and I'm gonna get you know 100% back into a rehab, and and I think at least that way I give myself every every opportunity to um, you know to get behind the behind the wheel back in in Hungary. We had a you know the week before Spa 24, we won the yeah uh, the program race at, at Spa um, in in the Mercedes with uh, in a GT4 bullet Mercedes then so. It's the next race. I'd like to go back and um, and get a result at Hungary as well. So that would be the best way to get over the crash, mate. Uh, you're all romantic, you. I tell you. Will you give my best to Rebecca? Enjoy your wedding, dear. All the best from everybody here. Great to hear you sounding so good. And you know you're welcome on here any time, mate. Have a good one. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Midweek Motorsport, where John has just 48 seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour. Great to hear Andy Murray sounding so good, wasn't it? In the next hour of the programme, we have another guest joining us on the phone. We'll be talking all things Aston Martin Racing with the man at the head of their racing team. Dave Howarth joins us in hour two of Midweek Motorsport. Paul Howarth joins us in the next uh, hour of the programme. Uh, Nick Damon will stay with us. We'll have more of your tweets on uh, at Specutainment as next we'll be talking financial news and an update from what's been happening in the murky world of Formula One financing. 
particularly with a count to Formula, uh, Formula One and Force India. That's all coming up in hour two. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. And to prove that we're live, it did finish uh, 2-0 in that uh, game we were talking about earlier. Excellent, excellent. Um, our financial correspondent is back back with us for excellent. a bit of an update. I've, I've got some names to throw at her. Right. Oh, Lord. Thanks. Yes. Throw names. Uh, André Demarais. Yes, part of the consortium. He's the deputy chairman and CEO of Power Finance. Canadian. Uh, John McCaw, Jr. Telecoms. Uh, he made lots of money from selling his father's cell phone business to AT&T and then lost quite a lot of money by <laughs> buying shares in Nextel. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, Jonathan Dudman, business He's partner Monaco. of uh, Jody Schechter. Yeah, Monaco Management. Former colleague of yours. Of mine? I- yeah. IMG. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, less said about IMG's motorsport department, the better. Michael De Picciotto. He's money. He's oh. the director of England Volkers, an upmarket estate agent. So if you have a property that you want to sell and it's worth around $15 million, then he's the man to go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, $450 million a year in commission uh, that in commission? Uh, firm turns over. In commission? Uh, Fantastic. Uh, uh, John D. Idle, the former CEO of Donna Karen. Also uh, made his money with Michael Kors. Michael Kors, yes. And That's another, funny, isn't it? Another Michael Kors man, Silas Chow. Well, uh, well, Silas Chow is Lawrence Stroll's long-term business partner. Yes, they started together with Tommy Hilfiger in 1989. And uh, they're also responsible for Karl Lagerfeld and Pepe Jeans. So, hang on. So, Michael Kors who have a big logo which is very very distinctive if they're going to be on the car we're going to have a team built based in mk that has red bull on the car and a team based in toaster that has mk on the car does that make sense i don't don't know Uh, those are the interesting group that are have depending on what you have read uh, saved purchased rescued uh, bailed out Invested in. Uh, invested in uh, Force India. Before we talk about that side of it, let's clear up a couple of things that we hadn't found out this time last week and subsequently you have. First of all, we now know who issued the winding up order in the High Court yeah, that to was start with. HMRC. For those outside the UK, that's Her Majesty's Revenue, Revenue and, and Customs. Customs. People not to be trifled with. Uh, and that basically means that contributions for national insurance and income tax hadn't been made. They're taken in in the UK, it might not be the same everywhere else, but in the UK, uh, they're taken off at source effectively. Anyone who has full-time employees is um, an unpaid tax collector and they basically do it. And that had been happening. The employees had been having that, but it hadn't been making its way to HMRC. No, and it's... It's weird, isn't it? Because it seems to be a favourite of sporting organisations because football clubs like doing this as well, which is just uh, uh, not paying them. And eventually HMRC... Have to settle for pence on the dollar. Well, yes and no. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that they serve them with a winding up order because they obviously weren't getting any satisfactory answers because that wouldn't be their favourite option. Uh, It might be an option that they utilise to bring people get people's attention mm. um, and clearly it did in this in this uh, instance because it meant a rush of other creditors to the court to say 
wait up a second, this isn't the most sensible way of doing this. Which but of course but in fairness, you talked last week about secured and unsecured yeah. funds uh, within the... HMRC would have been unsecured, unsecured. so they, yeah. they wouldn't have had any first call no. on any monies raised had it gone into um, bankruptcy. Even if they'd been able to seize assets to the value of what they were on. No, no, indeed. I mean, there are there are there are people ahead of them in the queue who are secured lenders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, VJ Malia, what's his situation <laughs> now? That was something that uh, was a bit um, murky, hazy. Yeah, it's still murky. Right. Um, okay. Right. <clears throat> Clearing her throat. Mm. Those people who are saying, "Oh yes, VJ Malia, not involved anymore," not true. Don't forget, Vijay Malia still owns 42.5% of Orange India Holdings. Why is that important? Luxembourg, because that's the holding company. Of? Of Force India F1 Limited. Right. Formula. The company that owns the entry. Yeah, indeed so. Now, is that the case, though, yes, Tim? Yes, it is. The, the, I just the, checked it. Right, so they own the entry. Correct. Okay. So that effect, that hasn't changed hands, then? N- no. Well, yes. Sorry, the entry has. No, no, Force India for, no, th- Formula what One. You said. What did you just say? Orange. Orange ba- India Holdings is the holding company of which VJ Malia owns 42.5%. Right. And, 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 and who owns the entry? That company you've just said. No. Right. No, that the entry is owned by Force India Formula One Limited. Right. Whose company number is 02417588. Right, excellent. Which I'm not giving anything away because that's a matter of public record. Right. Uh, what's bizarre is... Which goes back to the Jordan days, by the way, that e- company number. Uh, yes, it does. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Orange India Holdings claim they are owed £159 million. Which is effectively VJ Malia saying that. It, it, no, well, no, because there's, there, are th- there are two other shareholders. There's Subrata Roy, who's currently in prison, uh, who's the owner of the Plaza in New York. What's he in prison for? He's in prison for fraud. Right. And Does that not disqualify him from being a company director? Well, no, because what's happening is the group is trying to divest itself of, of assets, including the plaza. Right. Um, and a silent partner um, who's a Dutch uh, entrepreneur, uh, Michael Moll. So from Endemol. Yeah, that's the one. So well, he's he's the he's the uh, he's their big uncle brother. Of, <laughs> I would say, I, I believe. Right. Very interesting. But so when it was, does he um, want to be a millionaire? When it was Midland, was yes. it Midland or Spiker? Spiker. Spiker with the Dutch ones. His involvement goes back to that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so those are the three people who own... Orange India Holdings. Who are the holding, holding company, company for... For Force India Formula One. Who own the Formula One entry. Correct. And it's Force India Formula One in whom Lawrence Stroll and his... Um, consortium. Consortium have invested. Now, again, we don't know what what form that investment takes. Um, I assume he has taken an equity position and not just put in a chunk of money against collateral because he was, don't forget, he was about to make a loan to Force India in the run-up to the um, winding winding up order petition coming to court, but was told he shouldn't do that because of the dubious position of the holding company. So my guess is he has taken uh, an equity position in in Force India Formula One. Um, what I don't know, because it says all the firm's creditors will be paid this in full. This was a press release that, that's yes. come out from Force India. All the firm's creditors will be paid in full. So are we saying that the £159 million owed to the holding company will be paid back? Isn't there some dispute about whether that's actually owed? No. No. 
No. Off my shelf uh, now uh, said uh, that, uh, didn't uh, it? What's well, no. There's a bit. There's a question about BWT and whether their ah. sponsorship funds in inverted commas are in fact loans in inverted commas. I'll come back. There's to an that awful in a lot moment. of inverted commas flying right. around. I'll come back to that. So everything's going to be paid in full. So HMRC, uh, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, Mercedes, etc., etc. Right. Staff. Obviously. Staff will get Pyramid. paid. Excellent. Very good. Well, that's Which good news. Great. Yes. That's good news because what we don't want is a similar situation to what's happened before when Formula One teams have gone uh, into financial um, ruin and people getting paid pennies on the dollars. There's a lot of artisan companies uh, in the carbon fibre triangle that are still struggling from the last two. And hospitality companies, companies yes. and travel companies yes. and, 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 and BWT. When is a loan not a loan? Well, again, we don't know because VJ, uh, VJ Malia says, oh, this is laughable. It was never a loan. It was sponsorship. Um, but BWT maintaining it is a loan. Someone has suggested, and I, I think it was Reuters, that um, this was a decreasing amount of money. So they paid up front an amount of money that decreased as the season went on because it was being written off against branding and advertising. All right, so it was, it was, it was money that went in. Effectively, it was for branding, but it was being contrad on a race-by-race race basis. And, and then that... So, so basically, what they were doing were they were covering themselves in case the team didn't make it to the end of the year. That would that would make sense. But is that, that is also unsecured... That's an unsecured. Well, we don't know because we don't know what the contract said. You would right. expect that that was an unsecured debt, but but you don't know. The other thing it could be, which no one's really talked about, is it could just be debt finance, straight up debt financing, which is where a company puts in a lump sum to another company. It doesn't take an equity position, but it is secured against assets. So it's a secured debt that can be paid in the form of a loan. But but what you without haven't... an expectation of it being. And what you haven't done is taken any shares in the company. Correct. You haven't taken you an haven't equity taken position. position. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have any ownership. But we don't know because we don't have the paperwork for that. So um, we're guessing at the moment. What do you expect to happen next? What do you expect to hear next? Um, I, no, I expect the company to to get on with it, honestly. Okay. Uh, I mean, the, what you have to do is take out the VJ Malia element because that's so murky and so messy and so enormous that 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 hasn't finished because he's still being he, they're still trying to extradite him from from the uk mm. he's still there are still sorts of all sorts of other issues i mean we don't forget when we looked at, at the books when you say we you mean year, you no you and i when we looked at the books i i started laughing towards the end of it because i was looking at the back page which said related party transactions what i've subsequently found is a statement that says the company the company is funded using short-term borrowings and intercompany loans. That's the source of the £159 million debt, at least in part. But, you know, some of it, we talk, I mentioned... To in, the holding uh, company. Uh, um, yeah, I mentioned in passing the Diageo money. Yes. The Diage, and I was right when I made a guesstimate at the, at the back end of, of that show. The Diageo money was a £15 million sponsorship deal for Smirnoff to appear on the team's branding, which was part of a £75 million settlement with VJ Melia personally to get him to stand down as the chairman of United Spirits because Diageo, who had bought United Spirits, had made some allegations, indeed other people had made those allegations, about how money was being funnelled from United Spirits, which owns Smirnoff and Kingfisher and White and Mackay, to other VJ Melia businesses. 
So, isn't that the whole basis of the extradition trial? Yes. Well, uh, no. Some of it's to do with unpaid loans, Tim. Yes, but all of the transactions are called loans, aren't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's much easier to call them loans. Uh, y- yeah, they're all called loans, but there's no, ele- uh, there's not necessarily any evidence of them ever being paid back, mm. or any intention to, or any intention to. Yes, uh, this intra. Company intercompany loans. Loans. Uh, it's uh, so, it's so an interesting uh, way of doing business. You know, if Laura, uh, Lawrence Stroll is clearly a very, very smart man, and My he's clearly only done due diligence, or someone has. Otherwise, he'd have just loaned them the money in the first place. No one would have loaned them money in the first oh, place. Okay. D- uh, uh, I wouldn't have loaned them a fiver. A fiver. Right. So um, he's clearly a very smart man. My only worry. My only worry, and he does have some checks and balances in here with the people he's got on his team. My only worry is that, as we know, some very, very wealthy, very, very smart people come into motorsport and lose their minds. Or, or any sports, actually. Or any it sport. happens in soccer as well and, but, and other sporting you know franchises. But uh, you, know, that looks like a pretty solid team. The question will be whether they can get themselves out from under the holding company and the holding company's liabilities. So you, so the, the likelihood the is... One of them's in prison and one of them's heading for prison. Possibly, allegedly, maybe. Well, if he can be extradited, yes. His bail well, has been extended until the 12th of September. <laughs> That's it. Right, right, okay. So what you're saying is expect to hear uh, more machinations, although not necessarily between Force India, Formula One Limited and its wider creditors, but there'll be some, potentially be some argument over this intra-company loan, 159 yeah. million quid. Not, I mean, d- it's not an insubstantial it, amount well, of money, in Don't fairness. forget, VJ Malia is trying to divest himself of something like $2.9 billion of assets in order to sort out his financial situation. So, yeah, in the scheme of things, 159 million, sort of insignificant. He may have a very easy way of divesting himself of some assets, uh, because on the 27th of August, he is... Uh, due to appear before the Enforcement Directorate in a Prevention of Money Laundering Act case in Mumbai. Mm. Um, and they will just take his assets they if will he doesn't indeed. appear. <laughs> um, bear in mind, Subrata Roy is, uh, fail- failed to appear in, in front of the same group. That's their version of the SEC. Um, and the that's SEC? why uh, the Securities... Um, Equities, Commission. Equities Commission. Right. So it's, it, uh, you know, is their version of the, you know, we're the people who will say financial oh, we services. Th- we think you've been laundering money. Yeah. Um, and Subrata Roy's excuse was that his mum was sick that day, and um, he didn't go to court and was found guilty in his absence. He was in and out of prison for ages. He's currently in prison. In the UK? No, in India. Right. Okay. Um, right. We'll we'll keep that one under advisement. Thank you for that. Uh, Eve Hewitt. There's a, a further, or at least there was at least, a further wrinkle in this, Nick, in that for some reason, um, one or two of the other teams wanted to, weren't very happy, let me go back a bit. When all this started, there was a number of people who were quite interested in Force India. Um, some of them were current um, teams and manufacturers. Uh, some of them were from outside the sport. Some of them, as, as we've heard, which seems to have, have got the nod, Lawrence Stroll's consortium. Um, some of the other teams weren't happy about any of those choices and aren't particularly happy about um, Lawrence Stroll, but certainly weren't happy about the potential of, let's say, Mercedes in some way, shape or form taking them over. Well, what happened is that the teams, uh, Renault, Williams and I've forgotten the third team, 
uh, said they wouldn't approve of um, the company being rescued out of liquidation and retaining its prize money. Right. Which is a lot of money. Uh, and it takes you two years to get, if you start from scratch, to earn your prize money. So effectively, they were putting a huge financial block on someone taking over an organisation that had gone bust, effectively. Um, reason, the reason being was actually not because they wanted the share of the cash, uh, oddly, for F1. It's because they wanted to try and prevent people they didn't want taking over the business, because they wanted to try and prevent um, what has been slowly happening, which is the cause of power blocks within F1. So we have one power block already, which is Ferrari, Haas and Sauber. Um, Ferrari and Sauber obviously incredibly close, and Haas also um, you know, much closer. The other customer team they use so many parts for Ferrari. There is another um, power block, obviously, uh, will be happening next year. It's been, you know, it exists anyway. We'll be completely firm up next year, and both of them have Honda with um, a Red Bull and Toro Rosso. Mercedes have a kind of a, a loose power block because obviously they look after the engine, the powers for, for, for Williams and for Force India. Force India are already quite heavily interlinked with Mercedes, um, with obviously Esteban Ocon being a Mercedes driver, and obviously people waved the kind of a what's going on here kind of stick at them when they let the uh, the cars go past in, in Monaco. Uh, that Mercedes, the Force India, Mercedes go past without any um, question. Um, and Renault uh, obviously have McLaren, but they hardly, uh, whilst they're using the engine, they aren't yet in a big team. So what they wanted to kind of move away from was this chance for a new power block, and they didn't really particularly want someone who's going to be incredibly pro-Mercedes making force into the Mercedes B team. But as I understand it, if you, if you purchase, if the company hasn't gone bust, they just bought the holding the holding company and the um, the entry, as, as Eve was saying, then there's nothing you can do about it, because you can buy it, you can buy a, you can buy an entry, you know, as we said, you go back, Force India were, were you know, previous teams before that, and Jordan, we've got, Jordan. Mercedes, right, Mercedes, Formula One, well, right. you know, do you yeah, know what's Tyrrell. there? That, that, their original company registration number goes back to Tyrrell. Red Bull of Stewart. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, there's no, you are allowed to buy a team that's, yeah, but if, if, if you liquidate an organisation, then that's different. All right. Um, the other big Formula One news, uh, Daniel Ricciardo, lots of speculation. We now know where he's going. We going do. To Renault. Surprise, but he's going to Renault. Well, the question is, it. will Adrian Newey go with him? Uh, not in the short term. Why do you think that? Because he's got contracts. Contracts? Yes, but what what weren't you the one really that was mean? saying uh, about well, James Key? Contract, you can't make him stay more than a year. No, but as I'm saying, he might go. I'm saying he won't be able to... If he can't stay for a year, then he won't have any influence on this car or the next car. Now, I suppose that would still mean he could talk about the 2021 car when there's a major major um, regulation change. Yeah. But given the fact that my feeling with, with Adrian is more that he's kind of not that interested in F1... Rather get out of Formula 1. Altogether. Except he loves rule changes. And he loves the rule changes. But, but he definitely, he's and he's a also just come back to Formula 1, having and, left it yeah, once and before. And he gets a chance to do things with Red Bull, you know, with the uh, the Valkyrie and, and all the other bits and bobs, Aston Martin. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's a case really... I suppose at the end of the day, if someone offers him enough money and makes a bit enough offer and it makes him excited enough, he'll do it. But I think it's less likely. What does Ricciardo jumping to... To Renault do to the driver market. It's blown it apart, hasn't it? You no, said it's done he, virtually nothing to it, John. Well, what? How do you work that one out, Tim? Well, it, Nick, it Nick just says means that Carlos Sainz will be driving for Red Bull instead of Renault. No, I'm not sure. Why? Why? Why are you so convinced Carlos Sainz is going to get the Red Bull drive? 
Who would you give it to? I think I get Gasly. It, I get it to Pierre Gasly. He's been driving a Honda for a year. He hasn't got all the baggage that Science has got with uh, Verstappen. Um, oh, good point. And uh, it would be and it'd be a much more harmonious decision, given the fact also you could probably flog Science still for a few quid to McLaren, and you've got a much more harmonious environment. The only downside with that theory Science is Science to McLaren sh- to replace the uh, Stoffel Van Dorn. Well, this is the the only big thing that the big thing that really remains to be answered and may is, you know, prevent the triggering of everything else that's going to happen because there's all sorts of other, other movements in the driving market happen as well is what Alonso's going to do is he going to do it again or is he going to give himself a, a, a break and do IndyCar a combination IndyCar and WAC. World Endurance Challenge mm-hmm. which I personally believe he's going to do unless obviously he's managed to say I'll drive for free uh, for Red Bull but why would he go back to Honda or um, Ferrari well Ferrari aren't going to do that. Ferrari are not going to stick uh, a political nightmare in a team that has just had a major upheaval with the, the passing away of Sergio Maggioni. The only question of Ferrari now is whether they actually decide to stick with Kimi for continuity for another year and ease of keeping Seb doing what he wants to do and leave uh, Charles at his Isle Leclerc in Sauber for another year and try and shoehorn Giovinazzi into Haas. So there's a huge amount of drivers I still to go on and Kim- it has all been affected by this. Kim- Kimi's staying. Well, Kimi to Sauber, I reckon. Kimi won't go to Sauber. Kimi will stay at Ferrari. I don't think... Kimi I, I, wants I would to stay at Ferrari. Six weeks ago, I... Fettel wants Kimi to I stay at Ferrari. I think a month ago, I'd have shouted you down, Tim, but now I think it is completely in the balance. I think it's... 50 Kevin Magnussen to Ferrari. No, that's not... Kevin Magnussen not to Formula 1 anymore. No, 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 no. Don't no, be no, ridiculous. No. Do your no, brilliant job. He'll definitely be in Haas next year. No problems at he's all. He's been a star this year. Uh, if I was... The person that Haas has got to look over his shoulder is um, Roman Grosjean. You said Ricciardo's got to make a decision about taking the money or potentially winning a championship. Has he just taken the money with Renault then? I don't think he thought he could win a championship at Honda. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, do you think he can win? To, you, you know, Honda's got to get it right eventually. Yes, but they, 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 there's no indication it's going to happen next year, and there's certainly no indi- now, there's an indication it might be better than Renault. Who knows? But do you think it get anywhere near? I'm sorry, anywhere near Ferrari or McLaren? No, that's never going to. You happen. mean Mercedes, not McLaren? I meant Mercedes. See, I still Mercedes McLaren. Mercedes McLaren. Yeah, I'm, I'm just stuck in the years of the West sponsorship. Hmm. Okay, we'll uh, come back to single-seaters with Jeremy Shaw talking to us from California later on in the programme. For now, Nick, thanks very much indeed. As we move to some more sports car news now, if we may, there's been an awful lot going on and uh, a lot of it surrounds Aston Martin Racing. And I'm delighted to say that uh, joining us on the telephone here on Midweek Motorsport is the team principal of Aston Martin Racing, Paul Howarth. Uh, Good evening, Paul. Hi, good evening, John. Paul, thanks for thanks for coming on. Uh, always good to speak to you. Uh, some big news breaking, or some news breaking from Aston Martin Racing uh, last week on Thursday, just after our show, regarding your drivers. So if you don't mind, we'll kick off with that. There's a few things to talk about uh, in uh, respect of Aston Martin Racing. Um, Darren Turner getting a, a, a bit of a new role, will be doing some driving for you. Um, and Johnny Adam also uh, being retasked as well. Tell me a little bit about the, the the thought process behind that and what those guys are going to be doing. Well, I mean, both drivers are going to be very busy. There'll be a, there's a lot to uh, to do before the end of the year and into the super season. So uh, starting with Darren, you know, it's uh, a lot, probably one of the most long-standing relationships with a works driver in in uh, in racing, uh, any form of motorsport, and. Uh, the reason for, for guys for him to be linked to a team for so long is is in-depth experience. 
uh, Darren is very good at, at letting you know when he's uh, when something needs to change or be de developed, and uh, he's got a great insight and great knowledge of every team member as well, which is important. Uh, and his, his knowledge of the championship is uh, every track. Uh, account drivers sometimes a bit like engineers. They have a black book and they learn a lot of lessons over a long period of time. And uh, having Darren in the development program and more linked day-to-day -day in our new GT4 and our new GT3 build programs and testing is, is critical. Is, is as critical as having the best engineers. So uh, he can bring a wealth of experience. He knows very well uh, what a, a customer driver of, of, of different levels requires from a car. Uh, and he can give that feedback and we can deliver the best the best race cars to our, our teams we support worldwide. So it's, uh, I'm very encouraged that he continues with us. And he's a safe pair of hands when we go anywhere in the world as well. You know, he's still a highly competitive individual. Uh, and he's, he's one of the strongest guys you can have in Le Mans, to be mm. honest. I was going to say, it's not as if he's going to hang up his, his race boots totally. He'll still be doing some driving for, for the GTE programme next year now. It's still the same season, of course. But are, are you drafting him back in? I presume you're drafting him back in for Le Mans next year. I know he'll be back in from Sebring onwards. Um, you know, I'm a great believer in, in uh, time you get to Le Mans, all drivers need to be not only in tune with the car, but in tune with their partner drivers and in tune with the team. And you can easily lose the biggest event and any event by not having that, uh, that familiarity in the team. So I can't, can't really expect drivers just to slot in for, for one race and be, be really up to speed with everything uh, to, uh, to deliver the results we require. So no, I'd be better to be back in from Sebring. And uh, I'm sure he'll be keeping the, what should I say, the other drivers very honest. <laughs> yes, he will, and he'll enjoy doing that. This transition season for the WEC, logistically, actually, I know everybody understands why it had to happen to go into the new sort of autumn through to summer season that we're going to get from 2019 into 20. Um, but it, it, it has been difficult for, for everybody logistically, and there's some big gaps in there as well. Does, does that cause you guys an issue or do you look at that as an opportunity to be continuing to, de to develop the new Vantage GTE? Um, it's a bit of both, uh, to be honest, because you, you don't actually know where you are uh, until you actually get to trackside on a race weekend on yeah. some occasions. So you need, to be, you need to be against your opposition as much as possible, in my view, and you need to uh, you, you know, you just need to be in the game with them and, and understand where everybody is, the performance of the drivers, the performance of their cars, the performance in different weather conditions worldwide. So uh, sometimes it does hinder a team on a development program. Uh, for sure, having time to, to study uh, performance in between events gains you an advantage. But, you, you know, you can't beat, uh, it's like drivers, they can't beat having seat time and a team cannot beat having actually Track race time, time and being yeah. effective. You know? So um, it's 50-50 for me, to be honest, yeah. and uh, uh, that's the way we look at it. But there is opportunities, uh, but to be honest, I'd rather be out there <laughs> doing the job. You know, It's been a long time since Le Mans. 
and uh, it was a learning process with the new car at Le Mans. The uh, performance, I know that you guys were refining all the way through through Le Mans week. Uh, Silverstone's just round the corner for the, the GTE with uh, two uh, two two of your cars heading to what is absolutely your home race. You could almost roll them down the A43 to get them to the track. D- do you feel you've, you've found, uh, had enough time to find balance, to find setup, to fine tune the cars to be a little more competitive by the time you get to Silverstone for not this weekend, but next weekend? Um, I, I believe we have. You know, I, be, I believe we've 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 uh, we've learnt a lot in Le Mans, but it's a different configuration. Yeah. So we, a lot of your learning has been what we've taken from Spa, and uh, uh, we've had time to 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 analyse a lot more detail because the, the gap after Spa to Le Mans was pretty immediate. Yes. Uh, so we've had time to trawl through reams and reams of data and reams and reams of feedback from the drivers and the engineers. Uh, we've tested at Silverstone, uh, and we've took some key learnings. What you can from Le Mans, uh, I think we've done a lot of a lot of detail work to understand our tyre performance uh, and where we can make improvements versus uh, the usage of tyres through stints. I think the drivers have had time to to now understand uh, how to extra, uh, extract the best balance from the car over different stints. So. Uh, I'm positive uh, that we still haven't had the release of the BOP yet, So, but we're positive that we've given uh, all the information required to give us the best opportunity to deliver a result. Because uh, for sure, as you said, uh, Le Mans, uh, not Le Mans, but uh, Silverstone is our home event. Yeah. And I, I've got, we've got to get a championship on track. You know, I can't walk away. We can't walk away from Silverstone without a good points haul. Uh, and move into the to the, the long haul events. You know that's that is our focus. Yeah, I've got, it has to be. Um, we we'll talk about GT3 and GT4 uh, uh, customer cars in a moment or two. I, I'm aware that I talk, we talked about Darren Turner's new rule. What about Johnny Adam? Because he's uh, slotted in beautifully over the last couple of seasons. He's delivered great results, not least at at Le Mans. Um, what's what's going to be happening with Johnny in the the next season or so? Yeah, I mean, you, as you said, Johnny's outstanding what he's delivered over the last two years. He's a Le Mans winner, so, uh, and he's been a great support in the team. And not only what he does in WEC, but what he does with our customer teams. You know, he's on his verge of his next championship. Uh, he's just become the biggest winning driver in British GT. But, you know, Johnny wants to be the biggest winner in global GT. Um, he's, uh, he's one of our... Should I say one of our very first academy drivers yes. who's gone through the process to the future? Uh, it always it always is a, a very uh, a very uh, detailed process we go through which drivers go where and when. Uh, I think what he's going to do with TF Sport because uh, the AM Championship is majorly important and we've got TF and Paul Dallana and the 98 car there as well. And John can he's go, uh, John is going to offer massive strength in that team. Uh, and again, like Darren, he slots back in in Sebring and, and uh, leads up into Le Mans. So he gets his, you know, everyone gets the second chance to win Le Mans or even win Sebring. Oh yeah, so, good, good point. Uh, he's uh, he's a long-term member. I think, you know, with Max and Alex, are as equally competitive. I like to see them get as much experience in the in the the, the, the classic, you know, going to Japan and China. Uh, but Johnny gets to go there as well, so. 
all, all good there. He's as important as any of the, the nine driver lineup. Is Max all right, by the way? That was a, a, a nasty uh, a nasty little incident that he had, and uh, it, it, uh, it could have been, it, it sounds like it could have been even worse uh, when the, the, he got uh, a piece of rubber thrown through the windscreen, or a piece of uh, concrete, rather, thrown through the windscreen. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, is, is, uh, I've, I've, was, I was away at the weekend in Canada, but I was abreast of the situation, and when just watching the, the in-car of the incident mm. was... Uh, was very, very, very frightening. Uh, but, uh, you know, the medical support and the way the, 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 uh, the event handled the situation uh, was, was exemplary. Uh, Max was released on Sunday evening and, and back home with his family. Good. And, he, and he's visited specialists in Brussels yesterday and has had, uh, he's been signed off fit and well, you know. But he'll have quite a headache, you know, but he's, uh, uh, it's a credit uh, uh, to how the situation is handled, and I'm just really thankful that uh, it wasn't a more serious accident. Uh, always, always wear your full face helmet and have your visor on when you're in the car, yeah, even yeah. if you've got a roof over your head. Those of you who still wear open face helmets, please take note. Um, you mentioned the the uh, the customer teams there for GT. E Paul, of course, they haven't had the new Vantage yet. That's another product of the transition season. You haven't been able to bring to to bring that car uh, along because we really would have been starting that now for those guys had we uh, been in it uh, in a normal in a normal year for those guys. What's the situation with the the GTE for? Um, uh, so they'd have been getting cars now ready for next year. What's the situation with the GTE for GTE Arm? You can't run that car till after next year's Le Mans. Is that right? For Arm? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100% is just how the regulations fall. Uh, and uh, it, it's the way it's, it, it's panned out, should I say. Hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're hopeful. I'm, I'm fairly sure that... Uh, post Le Mans next year when we're allowed to run in, in the next season when we can run the new GT in the AM class you're going to see you know as, as fielding our classic field of pros and AMs Good. In, in that car and, and that's our target uh, you know we've got some we've got some great records we've got some great results uh, we're recognised as being able to deliver an AM car to championships and race wins on a regular basis so uh uh, uh, that's what we'll work towards. You know. And following on from that, what about the GT3 and GT4 versions of the new Vantage? It's something that I'm very interested in as a uh, in infrequent GT4 driver. When are we likely to see um, those cars getting out there? Uh, obviously, the European season is one thing next year, but for any potential US customers, they're at the raw before the 24 in January, which is, you know, they, if they're going to run, really they're going to want cars for then. How's things with homologation and, and final sign-off of the spec? Yeah, I, always delivery of customer cars will, will be defined by final homologation sign-off. Uh, people people have, uh, who are in Le Mans managed to, to see the GT3. Yeah, that was uh, sneaky. Well done on that, getting the, the yeah. GT3 out. Very good. Yeah, and I think uh, I think Ross demonstrated, you know, okay, is it Le Mans, but you know the performance and, and how beautiful the car is, and and uh, and Andy Palmer was there to uncover the GT4. Yeah. So it just shows our commitment. Uh, we have just started the test program 
uh, of the GT3 and, we'll, and the GT4. We were at Silverstone yesterday uh, for our first customer test, uh, which was uh, which was which was great to see the car in its GT3 configuration uh, for a European circuit. So we've got a lot of tests planned. We've got a big production plan plan planned. I'm not just going to release now who gets the car first and when you'll see it. Uh, but, but what you will see is you'll see a lot. The interest has been phenomenal. Yes. Uh, the commitment to purchase has been of the highest level. So uh, stand by uh, and you'll see a lot of GT3s and GT4s around the world next year with some very good teams. And Paul, Paul, how um, how much of um, the GTE is in the GT3 and the GT3 and the GT4? Uh, what I'm sort of saying is, is it a modular thing? Could you potentially buy a GT4 car and, if you wanted to, upgrade that chassis? Or are they completely separate beasts? No, you can start with GT4. A GT4 is a GT4 full stop you know but again it's an ideal track day car for somebody as well mm. so that is that's a, a com, uh, it's completely different configuration design and and it's done to a price as well we've got to keep that in mind you know it's Correct. done for to to, to, to attract uh, the highest level of of uh, championships and allow people to get in an aston martin and get racing at a good level mm. uh, the gt3 can convert up to a gte all oh, right good so uh, uh, you, 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 the body shell's the same. Okay, there's aero. There's, there's different variations in, in cockpit equipment and, and engine 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 equipment, etc. But it's not. It's very 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 close and an easy an easier conversion. Right. So, That's... Uh, well, that's a very, I mean, that's great, particularly for some other markets outside of maybe the WEC, where I'm thinking particularly, I've just come back from IMSA, obviously, and I'm ready to go to their GT Festival at VIR next week, um, where the GT Le Mans cars are the, are the top spec and GT3. So potentially a customer, particularly a customer in North America, could start off in GT Daytona with a GT3 car and then... Obviously, um, a few bits and pieces, as you see, engine spec and stuff like that, could potentially upgrade that car and go into the top GT class. That's that's really good news. Yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, the, the GT3 is born from the GTE. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and and vice versa, as you point out, with with them championships is the same for our our, our cars in in WEC. Yeah. If we end up with a future calendar with gaps in it. You know, I'm sure uh, the teams that are going to be operating themselves can, can easily convert down, vice versa. Oh, yeah, good point. And they can use that car. So, we, And, and that's, that's got to be thought about nowadays, Paul, because for so many of the your customer teams, um, this is... Um, they're a business and that is a resource and, and like aircraft or trucks or anything like that, if it's not moving, it's not earning money. Uh, yeah, no, very true. It's, it's, it's very. I think some people underestimate sometimes how difficult a customer market can be and, yeah. and uh, how much it costs. You know, we always work on on making the best products, uh, which is cost effective for a customer team to run and and uh, do as many miles as possible with the components reliably and safely. Uh, so. Uh, I think that's why we've attracted so many customers over the years and they're very happy with, with what we do and product they get. Yeah. 
Paul, thanks for, for staying late and speaking to us tonight. Good luck at Silverstone uh, next week. Pass our best on to the, the whole team. Obviously, the rest of the team, I won't be there, but the rest of the team are there. I'm sure we'll speak to you again and to give our very best to Max on his, uh, on his recovery, mate. Thanks very much. Thank you. Good evening to everyone. Can I just um, ask, is Eve still there? Uh, yes. Because uh, I've just seen her tweet of dessert. Yes. And... Uh, Proof that great minds think alike. Really? Because I had something very, very similar. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, it wasn't cream. It was. Uh, I had yogurt. creme fraiche rather than cream on oh, mine. It was yogurt. No, you had better. yogurt. Yes. yes. Very good. It, still Free an alternative yogurt. to cream. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Twenty minutes of the show left. Thanks to Paul Howth there joining us on the phone net from Aston Martin. Uh, racing, interesting stuff there, particularly about the forwards and backwards compatibility from GT3 to GT Le Mans or GTE specification. What was his quote there? GT3 is born from GTE. Like that. Can't wait to get a close-up look and uh, possibly a sit in one of those GT4 uh, and GT3 cars and even better still to fire it up and run it. Uh, you... Uh, uh, what have we got left? Oh, 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 I know what we've got. Hang on a second. I need to... We need to go to the other side of America. We do. You do, yes. Now I remember what you were talking about, the Pacific. Let me quickly get this also, up over here. Also, I just found out that uh, Richard Crails is already in the air. Oh, is that's, he? That's another reason why we couldn't have him on the show tonight. Right, OK. Well, fortunately, you having reminded me that, means that over here, if I fade this one up, I can say hello to my IMSA Radio Core commentator, Jeremy Shaw. Hello, Jeremy. Yeah, hi there, John. Great to hear from you. We had a fabulous weekend last time. We and, uh, good to be speaking to you again. We're, we're now uh, you know, quite a long way apart, but uh, you sound clear as, clear as a bell. Yes, it's, it's all, I've just looked round there because it felt like you were in the room with me. Um, some big changes uh, in the US Open Wheel ranks in the developmental side of that, which we'll talk about in a moment. But if we're going to talk about developmental stages of, of young open-wheel drivers' careers in the US. We should be talking about Team USA. It's that time of year. Ten hopefuls on your short list and a decent crop this year, Jeremy? Yeah, very much so, John. Yeah, the Team USA scholarship, this is the 29th year we've been no. running it, which is fairly amazing. And um, we've got uh, yeah, ten youngsters. And what's cool about this year's crop is that uh, they're younger uh, a little bit than, than in the past. Last year, most many of the candidates were sort of over 20, which is fine. But uh, I, I like them younger if I can, because there's, there's more opportunities, I think, for younger drivers. Uh, and this year, we've got four or five of them that are 16, 17 years of age. And, and that I like. You know, they're, they're making the moves into cars uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, and uh, and it's, you know, it's cool to see, I think, a bunch of really, really talented youngsters. It's going to be hard to make decisions from here to whittle it down. Uh, as in previous years, you're bringing them across for the Formula Ford Festival and then the Walter Hayes Trophy at Brands and Silverstone, respectively. Why is that important, Jeremy? Uh, yeah, I mean, I like that because it's, number one, it's, it's, it's out of the country. So it's out of the kids' comfort zone, number yeah. one. So you know, they don't have the, 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 their sort of usual support there, if you like. They're going to fend for themselves a little bit. Number two, those events are super competitive. Uh, number three, they're very cost-effective, uh, and uh, you know that's and, it, and it's a good opportunity to, you know, to to see how racing works in another part of the world as well. So there's a whole bunch of of, of good reasons to do it, and uh, I'm thrilled with the relationship we've got over there with Cliff Dempsey Racing. He runs a super program. Uh, you know, he, he 
he, he takes it, puts his arms around the kids and really brings them along. And it's a, a good opportunity to get a lot of seat time and race against some really, really good competition. Three pedals, uh, right hand gear lever, heel and toe, all of that stuff might not be considered that important to learn nowadays, or is it? That's exactly right. You know, these days it, it tends to be got video game racing, doesn't it, with with two pedals and paddle shifters and all that sort of stuff. But these skills uh, of matching the gears and heeling and towing and all that sort of stuff, yes, you might not need it when you move on up the ladder, but they're great skills to have. And it's the coordination that's required that I think is super important for young drivers. And, you know, as they move on up the ladder, there's now so much more to driving race cars than it used to be in the old days. You, you don't have to baby the cars like you used to instead you've got to you know, tweak things on the steering wheel and, and you know make adjustments to the car uh on the fly and so you need that dexterity and i think uh, the formula ford i think teaches you that at a long, at, at a young age and i you know i, I i'm it, for 50 years now formula ford has been producing great young drivers and continues to do so What's the next step for Team USA then, Jeremy, before we find out who the, the two youngsters who are coming to the UK are? Yeah, well, we had uh, the, 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 all 10 candidates, actually nine of the candidates. One of them is racing in Australia, uh, who's Hunter McElroy. He was born in California, but racing in Australia, leading the Australia Formula 4 Championship. He couldn't make it, but the other nine were all at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course a couple of weeks ago with the IndyCar weekend. Had an opportunity to meet a lot of influential people. They spent time with oh, many drivers, Spencer Piggott, with Alonso Jr., uh, with various IndyCar teams. They all sat in with, with uh, an IndyCar team for at least one of the on-track sessions during the weekend to listen how the drivers and the engineers interact. They had a kind of a little seminar thing with um, with uh, Craig Hampson and Michael Cannon from Dale Co- from Vassar Coin Sullivan Racing. That was a real eye-opener for them all. They spent some time with, with Max Pappas, with uh, all sorts of different people. They had a good look at race control as well. It was a great weekend for them. And I'm going to whittle that down from 10 down to 6 for a shootout, which will take place with the Lucas Oil School of Racing. Uh, and they run re- basically Ray Formula Ford cars uh, over here. It's wow. a good little school school series. They have, they have school races. And we're going to do a shootout from that. And then we're going to pick two guys or girls, to come over to England and race in the Formula Ford Festival and the Walter Hayes Trophy later in the year. Well, I look forward to finding out who they are. It, it has to be said for those of you that are listening here don't know, uh, yes, it's about the driving, but it's also about mental uh, acuity, attitude, and the way these drivers present themselves. I've been fortunate enough in the last... I was going to say a decade, but it's a bit longer than that now uh, to have met the the guys when they've been over here and spend some time with them and do some interviews. And in some cases, they've been round here for a bite to eat and an interview on Midweek Motorsport. So I'm looking looking forward to that. Um, One of your alumni doing rather well at the moment, Kyle Kirkwood. Four races to go in the Cooper Tires USF 2000 Championship powered by Mazda. And last weekend... Uh, flat, another flag-to-flag victory at Mid-Ohio, and he's got the championship wrapped up with four to go. That, that guy's a bit special. Yeah, he is. He's he's uh, he's very impressive, Carl. He, he dominated uh, last year's Formula 4 championship. He was a Team USA scholarship winner the year before. Uh, he, he and Oliver Askew came over to England, and Oliver nearly won both uh, the Hayes and the uh, and the festival he was running second at the festival until he had a, a picked up a puncture and he, he finished a very strong second at the Walter Hayes. Uh, Kyle was was right there in the mix as well. 
Uh, and after dominating F4, he, he moved over to USF 2000, the Coupertaz USF 2000 Championship, powered by Mazda. And I tell you what, he's done a fantastic job. He's in the same car with the same team that Oliver won the championship th- with the year before. Uh, and you know, he's had a little bit of luck on his side. It, the, the, the seas seem to have parted uh, in various ways. He's had only <laughs> four poles from the 12 races they've had so, so far this season. But he's won... Uh, 10 other races. It's remarkable. He's done a fantastic job. And you know, he, like Oliver, I think, is moving his way up the ranks. So it's, it's, it's cool to see. And you know, there's, there's a lot of people that make this possible for it, John, as you well know. Yeah. Um, yeah to make the scholarship happen. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, 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 it has, I mean, nearly 30 years now, as you mentioned, uh, and it's, it's cemented itself uh, as, you know, the uh, preeminent uh, um uh, scholarship of its type um, and clearly needs a bit of help to, to get along financially and, and you find that you're still finding that alright that people within the industry uh, uh, and, and commercial partnerships are still wanting to come and support new talent yeah, at this level, yes. But, you know, I'm not looking for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, yes. I kind of am because I'd love to be able to, to, you know, to step the program up, you know, much as, as Red Bull did, uh, or is doing still, I should say, um, you know, being able to, to take kids on up the ladder and the Racing Steps Foundation did for a few years in the UK. And there's been you know, a gazillion other programs that are similar that have come and gone over the years. Um, I'd like to be able to do more with them. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't have the, the, the time or the sales skills, I think, to, to raise that sort of money. But for the level I'm doing it, it's working really well. And, and it's, what's cool about it is the whole racing industry has got behind it over here yeah. uh, because, you know, they realize that uh, this is where the young talent is coming from. I mean, so many of the guys have gone on to bigger and better things. And you just look at, you know, look around. I mean, Joseph Newgard won his, last year's IndyCar Championship. Uh, Brian Sellers is leading uh, his championship in the GTD this season, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Dane Cameron won the overall series a year or so ago. I mean, there's, there's, I could go on and on and on because there's many drivers who've gone on to bigger and better things. And and so, you know, I think it's a, you know, the industry has got behind it and that's that's cool to see. Is it going to be more important for uh, either this particular initiative uh, specifically or others? Because we have had the news recently uh, that Mazda, who've been such a a stalwart supporter of uh, both open wheel and uh, sports car racing in the US at, at all levels, starting right from grassroots levels. But the Mazda road to Indy, the Mazda part of that is going to disappear after an exceedingly large amount of money that Mazda's put in over the last few years. It's not like they're disappearing, having got bored with it after a couple of years. We should say thank you very much to, to Mazda because they've, they've, they've done a heck of a job. But, but what comes next for the road to Indy, Jeremy? Well, yeah, good question. I mean, you know, hats off to Mazda. I mean, they've just done a phenomenal job. And, you know, there's there's countless drivers. I think something like you know, 250 drivers or more have come through the ladder. And, and there's 30-odd of them have you know, won championship or won scholarships to, to move on up the ladder. And you speak to any of those guys, and you know, they, they know how, how big Mazda has been for them. But, you know, this, this business is cyclical. We, we all know that. You know, that it's going to come to an end in terms of the Mazda Road really but the other part of that is they're presented by Cooper Tires, and Cooper Tires is certainly committed to the program, uh, as is Dan Anderson from Anderson Promotions that, that, that puts on the, the whole ladder system, that whole open-wheel development 
curve. Uh, it consists of you know, USF 2000 at the bottom, ProMaster in the middle, and Indy Lights at the top. And you know, he, Dan Anderson has said, look, he's committed to carrying this on. Um, it, it didn't have an awful lot of notice to find a new sponsorship, a new supporters for next season. But everybody else who's involved in it, including Mazda, are, are keen that it should carry on. And Dan is committed to carrying it on. Uh, and so, you know, I don't see any, I, I don't have any major concerns at the moment. They're, they're talking to various other uh, companies, individuals, whatever, that wants to get behind the, the, the whole mass, the, the whole Road to Indy program and, and continue in much the same way as it is now. And I'm not too concerned at this at this stage. Uh, one of the things that has already come out of this, and, and I don't know, you might be able to tell me whether this was already in the offing or whether the Mazda withdrawal has sort of provoked a little bit of thought, is Indy Lights. Now, Indy Lights hasn't been the strongest in terms of entries uh, this year, but my goodness me, the racing's been uh, pretty good. Um, but in, in order to sort of give that a bit of a bump and give that a bit of a resurgence, there's a, there's a five-year plan being put in in place by IndyCar and Anderson Promotions to get more teams, get more drivers, reduce budgets, but also, and I think this is very interesting, Jeremy, run a a sort of a licensing, like a super license system that you would have going up to Formula One about getting points before you can jump into the IndyCar series. Yeah, yeah, this this has been, this has been in in in, the an ongoing process now for you know all this season uh, and it's just coincidental that the announcement of the five-year plan f- from IndyCar was made just the same week uh, that Mazda announces its withdrawal and the funny thing is about Indy Lights it's kind of a victim of its own success because you know there's I think there was 25 of the 33 starters in this year's Indy 500 came through Indy Lights uh, this year three drivers uh, the champion, of course, Carl, Carl Kaiser, because he's got a, a scholarship to move on up. He, he, he's at least you know, going to be doing his three races, minimum of three races as part of his scholarship prize. Uh, also, uh, Mateus Leist and, and Zachary Clayman de Mello both moved up also to the Indy cars, as has the entire Carlin team. Now, Trevor Carlin originally I- intended to carry on running his, his Indy Lights program in addition to the IndyCars, but there was so much involved in setting up that IndyCar program that he, he just had to say, put put the Indy Lights uh, team on hold for a year. So all of a sudden, you've lost a whole bunch of, of cars and drivers, of cars particularly, and, and drivers to, to the big level. But as you say, the level of competition this year has been absolutely immense. And to those two guys who are battling it out for the championship, Patricio Award and Colton Herter, they are seriously good, those two. And all of the all of the regular guys, there's only seven, but I tell you what, the racing's been fantastic. Taz. All of them have been on the podium at least once this season, which tells you that you know, it might not have the, the, the quantity, but it certainly has the quality. I, I think one of the things that I, um, a couple of years ago, I was talking to a couple of teams, uh, IndyCar teams that were running parallel programs and have since drop them it has to be a a good business proposition jeremy doesn't it because nobody can do anything for charity uh, nowadays so increasing prize money competitive prize money reducing the budgets there's uh engine lease pricing deal going on discount on tires um spare parts discount etc etc and 1.1 million um uh increase or 1.1 uh, prize payout effectively uh, for the the season champion that that gives them the three race Verizon Indy Car Series package, including the Indianapolis 500. Is that enough, 
Jeremy, to attract people? Is it, is it, nothing's cheap, but is it cost effective in those terms? Time will tell. Uh, you know, there's also you know fifty thousand dollars to the winner of the Freedom 100 Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That's you know, th- there's lots of carrots out there, and it's up to drivers now whether they whether they see the the value in that. I mean, gosh, yeah, there is there's there's nothing else like it. You know, certainly the you know the winner of of uh, Formula Two doesn't get a, a guaranteed three race program in Formula One. Uh, so it's unique in that respect, and it, it, it's you know it's only one guy is going to get that prize, sure. But the thing about it is you know, as with Formula Two feeding towards Formula One, you know, you, you're, you're racing at the same same venues. With this, you're meeting the yes. people all the time. And by the way, you're a lot more involved uh, in the package of, in the on the road to Indy side of things as you are in Formula Formula Two. They, you know, they, at least now they are they do race on race day, like unlike what it used to be. But they certainly aren't integrated into the into Formula One like in the same way it is over here. Yeah. But yeah, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier on that you know, the revised IndyCar driving. Uh, driver licensing guidelines. I think that is crucial because you look at the, some of the guys this year who've moved up to IndyCar. Pietro Fittipaldi, for example, uh, Alfonso Silas, uh, and um, uh, Rene Binder. Or, or these guys who are, are they qualified? You know, would they be driving Formula One cars? Not a hope. Uh, and so why are they, why do they, ha- are they able to go straight to IndyCar when they're really not ready for IndyCar? They would be much better advised, in my opinion, to do Indy Lights, to prepare themselves with just, even just the fact, the fact of how different the, the race events are run over here. Yes. You know, it's, it's all, you know, driving a racing car, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's, that's, that's a given. Yeah, these guys can all drive, no question. But learning all the procedures, that how everything run, runs, all the, you know, the different, just, there's just so much to learn. And I like this idea that, you know, they're going to have a more stringent licensing program. So you actually earn your opportunity to go up to IndyCar because, you know, for a, for a couple of, couple of three million dollars, probably, you know, twice as much uh, as it runs, takes more, more than twice as much it costs to run an Indy Lights program. You can do a limited program in IndyCar. And some people, for some reason, I don't really quite understand it because, you need to pay your dues in this sport and in order to get the most out of yourselves. You know, you've got to be – one of the keys to success in this sport, I always say, is being ready to take advantage of any opportunity that presents itself. Yes. Well, now, look, these guys are coming into into IndyCar. Are they ready to really, you know, to really assert themselves in, in the in the Verizon IndyCar series? Any of those guys I just mentioned? And uh, – no, they're not, quite frankly. If they'd come through Indy Lights, I think they'd be much better prepared. So, And that used I to think, be, that I was the old way. the drivers a favour. Yes, I think you're right. And that yeah. was the old way, Jeremy, wasn't it? You know, when it was Atlantic, people would come across from Europe and do Atlantic, uh, learn a bit about the differences of American racing, the differences in American race tracks, let's be honest, as well. You know, yellow flag rules, in and out the pits, all that sort of stuff. And... You know, then at least when you stepped up to the big leagues, you had half a chance of being able to go. Oh, okay, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, fine. And you know, I'm oval racing as well. You know, not everybody can jump into oval racing. Look, at, I mean, even um, Dan Weldon, he did Formula Ford 2000 when he first went to the states. He he won the oval crown the first year, yeah. but that was because he was with a good team and he did exactly what he was told. You know. Would his career have been any better if he'd stayed in, in Europe, done F, F3 or something, and then tried to jump directly into IndyCar? I'd suggest not. I'd say absolutely not, and, and so would he uh, if if uh, if he was still around. No question about it. He 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 owed everything to to his 
development over here. And you know, look at the drivers who have come up through the ladder. They, they all go on to success at the big leagues. The guys that just sort of kind of come in and short circuit everything, very few of those have gone on to uh, to really shine at the top level in recent years. I think it's super important. Yeah, I agree with you because you can have as much talent as you want, but you have to be race ready, you know, and you've got to know what's going on around you. And that's very different in Indy cars to and to on the American circuits, particularly the ovals, uh, as to what you find in Europe. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Good luck with Team USA and what I'm sure is going to be a very difficult job to find those top six and then the final two. And I'll see you. Uh, a couple of well, not even a couple of weeks. Next week, isn't it? Uh, we'll yeah. be at uh, VIR for another one of those Ind- uh, IMSA GT festivals that we love so much. Yeah, so excited for that, uh, John. Thanks so much for for the support of, of our Team USA scholarship program from everybody there at, at RSL. Really appreciate that, and and all your your, your collective there as well. It's uh, it's great to be on Midweek Motorsport. Really enjoyed it. Always good to talk to you. And yeah, I'll see you in about ten days' time. Cheers, Jeremy. Uh, pushing on towards 10 o'clock time uh, for uh, a bit more. Just very quickly coming in on uh, uh, twi- Twitter, Alan Ora saying the 2015 IndyCar Lights Series was great. I loved it. Uh, it came to California. hasn't been for a few years. We want it back. Saw them in Southern California. 2015 Indy Lights, that is. Oh, sorry, that was Jesse. Jesse that, says, that said that. My apologies. At IMSA. At Specutainment. Uh, Tim Gray, that's just about it tonight. Uh, I'm sorry to end with this, but we've got a little bit of sad news, I'm afraid. And it comes from the uh, IMSA paddock uh, that uh, Frankie Palachek has uh, died on Monday at just 58. Heart attack uh, was what claimed his life. Uh, Brent O'Neill, who uh, Brent O'Neill is the uh, performance tech principal and had been um, frankly had been with him in fact i'm pretty certain since performance tech actually was formed uh, in uh, certainly since imsa and uh, that is a shocking development there we pass on our condolences obviously to frankie's mother gail to his girlfriend mary lou uh, to kim uh, and george his sisters and his brothers chris and john and uh, the extended family of the IMSA paddock uh, will be in shock at this moment too. Uh, you have a little better news uh, to end up the programme tonight. We have some uh, better news regarding Nicky Lauder. Many of you will know that he has been in hospital recently having a lung transplant. And uh, doctors say they expect him to make a full recovery. Uh, they're expecting to take the uh, breathing tubes away tomorrow oh, and good. he should be out of hospital by the end of the month he was really poorly before that wasn't he was he? yes uh, not breathing on his own at one point waiting for a donor lung to become available uh, but good news for Nicky now and uh, we should see him back in the Formula 1 pit lane by the end of the season I'd have thought uh, and uh, we'll finish up tonight with can some I also yeah, um, my Twitter timeline today, or particularly this morning, was full of people wishing happy birthday to uh, Nigel Mansell, who is 65 today. Is he really? Gets his pension. And that was um, followed by a rather smaller number of people uh, saying happy birthday to Andy Prio. Who is it, 65? Apparently he's 44. I'm not quite sure I believe that. What, you think he's older? I think younger? he is older. We'll get him on the programme next week and find out. Andy Prio, how old? 
I mean, he's got a 17-year-old son. Yes. Well, do the arithmetic. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. possible. Uh, anyway, I'd like to address the balance by saying happy birthday to Richard Lyons and Norbert Mikulish. Who are? Racing drivers. Yes. Uh, Richard Lyons, 39 today. Right. And I, that makes me feel old as well. Cause yes. Do you remember when he was a child doing Formula 4? Japanese Formula 3000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, Mikulish is only 34, but that's okay because I expect him to be young. He seems to have been around forever, to be honest. On next week's programme, we'll be previewing the World Endurance Championship as it kicks back into life after yes. Le Mans. We have Johnny Palmer on next week's show. Excellent. He'll be doing WEC and ELMS previews. And if you are He's anywhere... also going to talk about what he's doing this weekend. Uh, DTM? Yes. Okay, DTM. Um, if you are available this uh, next weekend and you want to go to Silverstone, tickets are available. They start, a general admission starts from £10, uh, depending on which day you want to go, and a weekend ticket starts from just £50. Go to the Silverstone website uh, for all of the details. And, of course, we'll have the crew there, should you not be able to make it, to bring you all the action live on RSL1. Thanks to all of our guests tonight. We seem to have pa- packed in an inordinate amount. Special thank you to Tim Gray, our executive producer, producer up in London. And now I've got to get down to the kitchen sharpish because Nick Damon disappeared when pudding was mentioned. He, and he's he taken the Pavlova back. away with him. He, well, he hasn't come back yet. There better be some left for me. Uh, there's no time to explain. Uh, the Llama is having a weekend off. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.